You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical idea today's show we're going to be doing the 2012 action horror thriller slasher the collection it's also like an escape puzzle horror if you will it is it's kind of like what i want those escape rooms to actually be like oh totally and while we're watching this i was like you know this makes me want to go attend them any other day of the week i'm just like meh i don't know especially like all the work functions that seem to be around escape rooms these days and i keep seeing group photos of all those fucking losers at my job that are just go to every single one of these after work functions and man would i love a little collection to happen to some of them oh that would be fun that's a great team building experience i think (laughs) because you take all their body parts and compile them into one super employee that's way better we have a staff party where we have a dunk tank and our general manager is the guy in the dunk tank it's his idea does does he (laughs) and he gets yeah he gets soaked and people will throw like jokingly of course we all get along really really well uh but people will throw it directly at the cage at his face because it's funny right and he has a great sense of humor so Is is he one of those dunk tankers that shouts insults at you like oh yes. couldn't yes. hit the broadside of a barn yes one of those oh yeah like, it's funny he gets a real kick out of it and we all do too and he de- he definitely gets soaked and it's hilarious but an escape room you yeah say. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, like we've mentioned on the show before we're a stone's throw and i mean a stone's underhand throw i can even a... hit it and i have the weakest <laughs> arm imaginable <laughs> really yeah we could hit it with a paper airplane not even kidding fuck yeah it's crazy we're surrounded by escape rooms but yeah i'm way more interested in the production of these rooms probably because of an interest in horror and really enjoying like this comes from a home invasion film which is another subgenre i like Mm -hmm. and i really do like puzzle horror and Mm -hmm. i like that part in role-playing games and Mm -hmm. uh, video games as well Mm -hmm. so i really enjoy these rube goldberg machine type things like saw in the collection and and this movie is that some of you might be asking yourselves wes lydia break it down to me why are we doing the collection the sequel to the collector well guys there's a lot of facets that go into what makes us choose a movie and what makes us not choose a movie and you know the stars just aligned in a specific way and we both checked our fucking readouts and i i have the collection and i don't have the collector and that's yeah that's the magical fucking like what it all boiled down to kid was that this was the one that west could reach over and grab <laughs> which is awesome you know like that's that's part of the deal because if we had done the collector, I'd want to do the collection. Mm-hmm. Now doing the collection, I kind of want to do the collector, but whatever. We don't have it in front of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can talk about both movies to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. But either way, this has a little more fun to it. Agreed. This has something that I've mentioned on previous episodes and specifically like when we covered Sweatshop. And I think I wished aloud three times while we were talking about that film that I just wanted to see a good horror with a good rave, not um, a piecemeal 10-person rave with crappy music. 
or something that's way too cartoonish. Like everyone likes the rave scene in Blade. Fuck yeah. Well, who doesn't like to see blood absolutely everywhere and a little new order never hurt, right? Great music, great scene, a lot of gore. Iconic and and really, really, really unique for the time for such a mainstream movie to do something kind like of that. it's a little too telegraphed i mean you've got some matrix rave scenes that are laughable um but... <laughs> so much water so it does not count that does not count it's not a horror movie so whatever but um i did i did wish aloud that i wanted to see a good rave scene mm-hmm. and this film does actually deliver that yeah it's Got a lot of fucking cinematography, a lot of slowdown shots, good fucking music playing, tons of people, everyone's sexy. Uh, really good music. And we owe that to Charlie Clouser from Nine Inch Nails. Correct. White Zombie. Yep. That did one of my favorite television themes, very minimalist theme for American Horror Story. I love the title. I watch the title sequence for American Horror Story every time when I watch the show. Yeah. Uh, a lot like Walking Dead, Bear McCreary's intro for Walking Dead is something that I'll listen to slash watch every time that I'm strapped to a chair and forced to watch Walking Dead. Um, and he did music on The Matrix as well. Mm-hmm. This Charlie Clouser. So oh, there's other films that he worked on. I just, they're just not coming to mind. Yeah, it's a big career, though. That's what you huge, really need to know. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, amazing, amazing human. And good music choice, of course. And this scene packs all of the things that you're going to get from this movie into that so it's a really good introduction to not only our killer mm-hmm. and the sort of tone of this film but the level of effects that we're going to expect and the soundtrack yeah yeah, yeah. so before we get into all of that we added to our collections today didn't we Wes? fuck yeah we did because we're collectors of our own in our own rights you know maybe not body parts I mean, I've never really checked your basement thoroughly. I have a steamer trunk. Oh, God. It's not down there. Oh, shit. But regardless of the fact that I now suspect Lydia is a murderer, we collect horror movies. I definitely collect horror movies. Holy fuck. It's a sickness. I collect some horror movies some of the time. You do. And I'm delighted to report, dear listeners, that her collection is now officially... Too big to hide away in her efficient little entertainment unit underneath her television set, which I know is driving her crazy because it's before you were able to put everything in there, close doors, and it may as well not be there. Not anymore. It is like it may as well not be there. I think that's part of that was part of my problem. After having a, a very substantial horror film collection mm-hmm. back in the day when it was all VHS sure. and the goddamn thing was an eyesore that took up half the living room and it was like Did you... bookshelves and boxes and yeah. everything and piles and stacks. Yeah. And... You, you had like your bookshelf and then did you have the VHS stack in front or on the side of the bookshelf just like stacked up like that? On the side, yeah. Oh, fuck, I was so side. bad for that. I was really bad for that. And of course, the entertainment stand that housed a much smaller television, we're talking like many, many years ago, was like three times as big as the one I have now and full. Like, and there were boxes and there were boxes stored at my parents' house of VHS tapes. Then DVDs came along. So I had all that collection plus DVDs and I would Mm -hmm. go and rent stacks of 10 DVDs. So there was Mm -hmm. always extra stacks on the stacks. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. So I think that having that all abruptly ripped from my life, then 
having the collection now stuffed mm-hmm. in a tiny box as it would, mm-hmm. you know, whimpering underneath my TV. Whimpering, the box kind of stinks. You, just, you don't really want to let it out unless you're going to, like, put makeup on it. Don't want anyone else to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't go near the trunk. That's what I'm going to start referring to my collection as is Abby. I'll just start calling it <laughs> Abby after my favorite character in this film. Um, but, yeah, pretty soon I'll, I'll stuff it all back in there. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be getting rid of stuff. Yeah. But I have my myself to blame. Mm-hmm. The show to blame because I really love doing the show and contributing to it yeah. as best I can. And Chris from Bind Torture Cast and me definitely trade films and get things for one another, gift things to one another once in a while. So I definitely have had a small growth to the collection here on in known as Abby mm-hmm. that lives in a box under my TV. has definitely grown a little thanks to him and his excellent taste in horror films well i was the same way when i first started writing for spotter pictures i just kept getting more horror movies because everything was a potential review and just like now everything is potentially a show i know the fact that we also want to have our own horror movies for our own personal collections and shit so the reason that we've added to our collections, the reason we're bringing this up today is we have a super huge, awesome thank you mm-hmm. and future thank yous because there's going to be things coming from the store that'll end up on the show. And for those who really enjoy our show and the films that we watch and maybe have trouble sourcing them, especially in the Ottawa area, mm-hmm. although I'm pretty sure you could contact them for any help if you live outside of Ottawa. We saw many titles that we reviewed today when we went on a little shopping spree. We did, yeah. At the Turning Point. It's turningpointmusic.ca. They're at 411 Cooper Street mm-hmm. in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And I had bypassed this store so many times. I was fucking shocked. I was fucking shocked. Because let me tell you, I I that is within the ballpark of the comic book shop that I go to every single Thursday. And... So I walk in and around that area. And when you had told me that that there was a horror collection waiting for us to peruse, I, you kept telling me the address. I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know any movie store in the area at all. I know, right? And I go to that self-same comic shop. We probably both used to go down to Silver Snail as yep. well. So we'd like walk back and forth around that area. <clears throat> it's in uh, the district known as the village. So it's the gay area. So there's a lot of to-dos and happenings. And there's a very cool Bridgehead Cafe there too. Yeah, so yeah, I really yeah. enjoy in the Bridgehead Cafe hopping that I do. Mm-hmm. I slut around to about three or four different Bridgeheads. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite places to whore myself. As it were. And by whore yourself, you mean buy coffee. Buy coffee and drink it and read books. Sometimes comic books. And I've walked past this goddamn store a million times now. I'm pretty sure that this was a record shop that I did frequent before I moved to Ottawa and would just visit here um, called Sounds Unlikely. I'm positive it's the exact same spot. I could be wrong, but it seems like the exact same spot. So I'd walk by it all the time. Mm -hmm. I was very aware that the turning point was there for Mm -hmm. fucking years. So probably like five years at least. I've toyed with the idea of going in and not because I thought it was just like sounds unlikely and it was just vinyl and I don't have vinyl and no reason for me to go in there. But um, about a week ago, I had some time to kill. I was down on Bank Street for whatever reason. I can't remember now. And... I thought, you know, they it says DVDs. The last time I was into Sounds Unlikely, there was like a little box, a little area of DVDs. Nothing really to write home about. But my shit. The Turning Point has an 
impeccable horror selection. Mm-hmm. And just so happened when I walked in there, I got chatting with Sean, one of the employees there, a very cool human being who is also a horror fan, yeah. who mentioned that they just got in quite a bit of horror for us to look at. So we were just in there today mm-hmm. before recording to go on a little shopping spree and mm-hmm. see what they had. Yeah. And not only, like I said, pointed out so many films we've already covered, so many oh, films yeah. we have in our collections, yeah. so many films we need to flesh out our collections. Yeah. And not even like biggies. We're not talking about like, oh yeah, so you guys have covered Halloween, so they have Halloween. I mean, they do, but Mimesis and... Necromentia. Necromentia. And Nightmare City. Ni- yeah, Nightmare City. They've got all kinds of like little weird gems like that that we've covered that we pulled out of a sleeve. Yeah. And it's really, really cool. And it was really nice. I mean, like... They didn't have to, like, Sean didn't have to hook us up like that. They easily could have put those movies on the shelf, we'll price them, and that would have been the end of it. But, you know, they did us a nice little solid, kept them in the back for us so we could get first dibs. And I came out of that so fucking energized and all these movies around me and so fucking excited. And it's the exact environment that we don't get too much anymore. So now I'm going to be including uh, this with my Thursday comic book trip. It's right around the corner. Why the fuck wouldn't I, if I'm getting my books, going to go check out this place to see if they got any new stuff in. I'm definitely going to. And they're very helpful. Aside from Sean, like doing us a solid, as you say. Yeah. uh, Which he totally did. Went kind of above and beyond. But that's, you know, we got chatting about horror. And that's Mm -hmm. what happens when... You know, you stroll into a place where you see a lot of really cool horror. You can't help but mention being a horror fan. Be like, this is really cool, guys. And then we got chatting about the show. And he mentioned that they had this boon right now of some really cool horror for us to paw through. Which we're going to actually have a repeat performance mm-hmm. in a week or two. So that's pretty cool, too. But even the next day, because I had mentioned there's a few movies that I have my eye on. And one of them was to flesh out a little more of my French Extreme collection mm-hmm. because Alexandra West has just published, well, a couple of months ago, Films of the New French Extremity. And it's an excellent book that covers a lot of these extreme French New Wave horror cinema, right? Mm-hmm. And I've watched a lot of it, but I had never seen Inside. And Bind Torture Cast talk about Inside quite often and... I don't know about Steve so much, but Luke and Chris are huge fans of that film. And anyone I know, like Amy's a huge fan. Mm-hmm. Everyone I know, Alexander West is a huge fan. Andrew Subasati is a huge fan of this. And Alexandra and Andrea do the um, Faculty of Horror podcast, for those yeah. that don't know. Um, everyone in the fucking planet seems to have seen Inside. Mm-hmm. Except me. And every time I would pick it up or think about it or look it up and think of buying it, I'd be like... After her husband's death, a pregnant and my brain would just like give up. I just didn't want to watch that. I don't care about some pregnant chick with a dead husband. I absolutely don't care, unfortunately for me. <laughs> so I had mentioned that to Sean when I was in there. He wrote down my name the very next day. He called me and was like, yeah, we do have a copy of Inside. And it was a great price. And it's like right there. Like you said, I don't have to go across town to a crappy fucking horror selection. Mm-hmm. I can go just down the road, really, to yeah. an amazing and responsive staff mm-hmm. and convenient store because it's near my favorite bridgehead my second favorite bridgehead cafe yeah it is funny because i definitely we walked out of there both spending a chunk of fucking money no oh, way less damage than i thought yeah yeah but i still 
was clocking stuff. I was like, well, I might be back for that later. Yeah. And I kind of want to be back for this later and yeah. that type of shit. So we'll definitely be back. Oh my God. Definitely. Uh, regularly at that. And like you said, it's like right by the comic book shop. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to be there every week anyways. So Ottawa horror fans. Yeah. Don't take all the good stuff. Leave it for us. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to start hiding stuff in the storm. And <laughs> yeah, we're going to fucking like do that thing where you're like, I'm going to put this in the romantic comedy section. So I saw I saw that happen there today and I actually reshelved something. And then I thought about it and I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, we'll just turn spines around and tuck them back in. Because <laughs> you know, we're assholes. No, we won't do that. But and don't you do it either because we need those movies. Yeah, we need those movies to yeah. bring you content. But it's 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 a really cool spot. So we've seen the demise of Algon Video here. We've seen the demise of Invisible Cinema. Yeah. We have nowhere left to go in Ottawa except now the turning point. And I feel so dumb for having not gone in there before. And even yeah. Sean, like he's friendly and everything, but he even gave us a look like we've been here forever, guys. And we're like, eh. Yeah, well, it goes to show you, even though we're both steeped in this shit, it doesn't mean we know everything. It doesn't mean we know every little nook and cranny within the city, even though we've both lived here for years. We also have social anxieties. There is definitely that. houses a lot. And do you ever get that feeling where, I, you know what I was most impressed about your story was that you went into a store that you've never been in before. And I know that like we all go into stores for the first time at some point, but there's so many times where... I'm walking back and forth in front of a store and I want to go in, but I'm really, I was like, oh, it seems like one of those stores that not a lot of people will be in. And then what if I don't want to buy something and the store clerk says hi to me? I don't really want to deal with that whole thing. This is what it's like being me. It's a fucking nightmare, Lydia. I know. I typically don't go into strange or dangerous stores. <laughs> sketchy marts, I'll call them. Um, which could be like, you know, Max Mart is the chain, like 7-Eleven or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I will walk by 20 of the fucking things till I get to one I know yeah. and have been in and trust. Yeah. That this I know. is a safe place. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I've been like that ever since I was a kid. You know, I'll walk past... Or like laundromats, when I used to have to frequent laundromats, it was like the one laundromat that someone I knew went to. I would never go to any of the other what sketchy if went to, mats. What if you go to another laundromat, Lydia, and you don't know how the machines work? And well, have, no, and then... it's not even that. I don't know what, it's the cleanliness thing too. And like other people that are in there, maybe it's like, I don't want to bump into anyone I know too, right? Like fuck people. But there's like a convenience store that's way closer that recently closed and i was like very i was happy it was closing because i'd never been in it because it was a sketchy mark for whatever reason yeah and i was happy that it closed so that i didn't have to like walk past it and think like that you're crazy that I, <laughs> yeah because i because i am and that is super crazy but yeah i went into a strange store all by myself i know i was really impressed and now we have a cool spot to go to, and I'm glad you were there because you needed to, you needed to be my tether to go into a strange store because I was like, okay, well, at least I'll know one person in there. I tried to get there fast and first because I didn't think that you would go in, and I knew that you wouldn't like give up or anything or be late or anything like that. No, but, I, but I, you're right. I would have been standing outside, yeah, not going you in. You wouldn't have gone in, but I'm like that as well. Unless I'm like in a super manic frame of mind, and then I'll. Then watch out, world. I might just walk into a store and shop. 
It's craziness. But yeah, I was actually hustling because I wanted to get down to the former Mags and Fags. I forget what they're calling themselves now, but it used to be Mags and Fags, another Ottawa institution, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, uh, magazine store to pick up the most recent Rumorg magazine. Well, why would you want to pick up the latest and greatest issue of Rumorg magazine, despite the fact that uh, Rumorg magazine is one of my favorite horror periodicals? And you get it delivered to your door every fucking month like a baby. Uh, I wouldn't call it like a baby. I can kind of consider it like a very affluent horror teenager. <laughs> that gets a fucking box of tchotchke every single month. Jesus Christ. Uh, this episode of Dead Air Podcast brought to you by Horror Block. No, it ain't. <laughs> you guys want to give me free horror blocks? Plug, plug, plug. Anyway. Yeah, you would like a free horror block. I wouldn't mind a plug in the horror block, and I want nothing to do with horror block things. But it's cool that they include room work. But anyway, uh, why would I pick up room work? Because it's a cool magazine, man. It is a cool magazine. It's got some cool articles in it. Thanks, Shirley Jackson. Yeah, Shirley, Jackson. Shirley yeah, Jackson yeah, yeah. on the cover. I was once called a modern Shirley da- Jackson. Isn't that cute? That is really cute. It's way too high of praise. So I... Effusive praise. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it's got a lot of really cool articles. So anyway, the collection. But it's got a picture of our sick fic winner from Dark Carnival, Lydia Peaver. Yeah. Wearing your, what I consider if, okay, listeners, if life were a fighting game, and oftentimes I wish it was, and we were have our selectable characters, and there's typical Lydia, the selectable fighter character, and you're like, what's her P1 costume? Her P1 costume in my brain is the skeleton dress. And I was elated to see that in this image you were wearing the skeleton dress i'm actually wearing the skeleton dress today you are so you're basically like a saturday morning cartoon character (laughs) to me it's just you're like charlie brown guys count on the zigzag it's gonna be there apparently you can see this dress coming for like blocks and blocks on a city street (laughs) it pops yeah i guess it does um yeah i know that we'd gone into the dark carnival on previous episode after i visited that convention and that i'd won a competition a sick fiction comp- competition and there's a picture of picture of me and monica kubler and sephora jerome who is also a horror author and is the ontario chapter president of the horror writers association and monica is an executive editor of Rumorg magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a horror author as well and a member of Horror Writers Association. So it was a very ho- Horror Writers Association. That was what the words being spoken when that photo was being taken was Sephora realizing that we're all Horror Writers Association women, which is really kind of cool. So that it is, is really like really cool. kind of a historic little photo there in a way for Ontario Chapter Horror Writers Association. Um, I got to chat with the Horror Writers Association when I was at Fan Expo last weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone was super friendly and super eager to talk to me about horror and writing. I didn't mention your name, though. I didn't want to be a name dropper. Oh, no. And no one would have known or cared. The only person I think that would have been there would have been Sephora. That would have been like, oh, yeah, I know her. There were some really cool horror panels that I know of at Fan Expo. And in a small, small way, I'm sad I missed it. I'm not sad that I missed, like, the bus or drive down there and the money and the people and the huge amount of people. But you did go, was it more than 80,000 people in attendance? Because that was how big the last one I went to was. I don't know, but I will say this much. And this is, uh, so this is my second year in a row going to Fan Expo in Toronto. And I have to honestly say that whether it was better organization of the crowds, if maybe less people came than they were anticipating, 
but I felt that traffic moving from the two different main buildings where the convention is being held was very smooth. I didn't feel overwhelmed by a lot of people. And I'm a type of person that can feel overwhelmed by large groups of people. And the first year I ever went to Fan Expo, which was last year, it was insane. I have been going to conventions for over 10 years. And I have never seen a more jam-packed human sardine fucking scenario in my entire life than that con. And not just that year, that con, that singular con where people were backed up and it would take you 45 minutes to get from one end of a con to the other. And, and that's like no stopping trying your damnedest to push through fucking people. This year was not like that at all. It was really well organized and I had zero issues going because... Uh, for me, I'm spending a lot of time in Artist Alley because that's where my table is. And then also I want to hang out with the horror people. So, you know, because I want to talk to like the Black Fawn film guys and uh, Rochelle who writes for Rue Morgue, she's going to be there. And like, these are the people that I only see while I'm at conventions. And yeah, they're like once or twice a year kind of people, yeah. Yeah, so I want to just chat with them. Hey, how's it going? What's going on here? And of course, I want to see the new hotness and I want to peruse through some movies and shit like that. And I picked up some really cool uh, films. I used to go from the horror section all the time to go and visit Artist Alley. So exact same problem, right? Yeah. But you got to abandon your table and go to the other end to visit. Because there's other horror stuff going on in Artist Alley, too. Yeah, no, there definitely is. And What were you pimping in uh, Artist Alley, sir? Oh, well, pimping the comic book that will be coming out very shortly called Princeless. Uh, for horror fans, uh, it's not horror, but it, uh, for people who are interested in an all-ages book about adventure and fantasy and diversity, and if you got kids, it's great for them, you know? So there's that coming out, and that's going to be the book that's coming out fairly soon. And it's also, like... Wes writing debut in uh, comic book form. Yeah. That's purchasable that you can add to your collection. You wink, can add wink. to your collection. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. Get it signed for his future balls of insane horror stuff that I'm sure mm. will trickle down that sluice great pipe. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you get to uh, you get to meet with a lot of people, chat with a lot of people and you get to talk horror and, you know, you get to feel that your ideas maybe aren't as crazy as you might think they are. And when other people are enthusiastic about stuff that you're talking about, you're like, yeah, okay, maybe there is something there. Maybe there is something there. And there is more uh, writing coming down the pipeline. I'm kind of in like a weird spot where I can't talk about it as openly as I'd like to. That's yeah. kind of the way that the comic business works. That's the way so much artistic business works. But it's yeah. good to be in that pressure cooker that is a convention, let alone, you know, an artist table where you get to talk about and toss mm -hmm. around, especially in the, the little more uh, casual atmosphere of a convention where you can yeah. just spitball. Yeah, yeah, and and you can like, and it's great meeting people. Uh, I was there with my artist uh, Sora Sung. It's great to watch her work. Fans coming to see her work and 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 stuff like that. She already has um, an issue of Princess out with with a, a big chunk of her pages in it. So like that book was there for people to sign, and it's just really cool. It's really cool. Be, you know, Princess is one of those things that has been around for five years. It's got a really loyal fan base, and people who love it love it a lot. And so when you're, so it was nerve wracking for me to start writing characters that aren't, first of all, your first book, they're not your characters and other people have an idea about what these characters sound like and who they are and what they should be doing. And so you, in a lot of ways, it's restrictive 
um, to work within that framework sometimes, but it's also kind of exciting to have that pressure. And those parameters. Yeah. yeah. You got to be creative inside a little tiny box. Yeah. And so like to me, I like flexing that muscle. Obviously, I love having original characters and I want to write original characters and I have my original universes that I have ready to go. But um, one of the things that I love about comic books, what I really love about comic books is the fact that so, so many of these characters are so indelible. And so like, you know, if you're a kid, it, like when I was a kid and, you know, I'm having a really bad day and I'm reading a comic book character, Spider-Man, for example, let's just say. And then years later, you could maybe one day write that character to affect somebody in the same way that you were affected in a very demonstrable way because it's the exact same character and the exact same scenario. That to me is a beautiful part of this commercialized writing. And it is commercial writing very much. So like, I don't consider myself an artiste. I can, I consider myself a cook. You give me, you give me ingredients and I cook them. And that's, (laughs) Oh, that's a little better than I thought you were going to go with like a widget fucking conveyor belt worker. No, no, no. I'm a cook. I'm like, you create and, and like the flavor that I come out with will be, a dish you're familiar with, but it'll be wholly your own. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. the ingredients are there yeah. for you to use in whatever amounts that you see fit. Yeah. yeah. And plus, like, you know, you have pencilers and you have colorists and you have inkers and letterers. There's all these people that come together to make a singular piece of art. And you as the scriptwriter, you're the spine or the foundation that all of that is going to spring forth. So... And, and so, but people working incredibly hard around you to make sure that the script could be realized its full potential because without arts, it's nothing. Without the letters, you can't read it. Without the ink, nothing pops. Without the color, you know what I'm saying? Like you Yeah, need... you don't want somebody to wear too many hats. It's very, very rare in horror film where you get that director, lead actor, producer, yeah. editor, DP yeah. person that makes their own film basically with a couple yeah. people helping but not really because, you know, they're a control freak. It's very <laughs> rare that that actually happens. I, I Very rare in comics, I'm sure. Like, I'm yeah. no expert, but I'm pretty sure it would be damn near impossible, a fucking life work. I mean, we're talking Todd McFarlane levels of fucking yeah. mad genius at work here, mm-hmm. which he probably didn't even do his own lettering. I, I don't know. No, but, um, yeah. and, and not only that, but, like, some like like if, if, in even in Todd's own run of Spawn, I mean even though the credits didn't say or didn't suggest this, Greg Capullo took over the arts very early on in his run back in the 90s, like way sooner than people thought. But um, And Todd just sort of like fudged who was where on the the credits. Um, and so people didn't realize that Greg was drawing these books way beforehand. And so when Todd officially said, okay, Greg is now the artist, like the fans went ape shit Todd McFarlane not drawing spawn we won't buy it not realizing that that's Gr- like Gr- that Greg has been de- has been drawing this book uh previously already so it's it's funny things like that but no no I'm really really excited and I like I don't like being evasive that the reason why I don't like talk about the comic books too much is because like I kind of feel like people come to us for horror and if I'm not writing horror then I'm like, ah, do people care? Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause it, like, believe me, it's it's a cute story, guys. It's cute. It's like it's for kids. Like, yeah, yeah. I think I, I interests me because the fans don't get to hear much about what you're doing, and you don't have a chance to really plug it too too much. Cause like you said, it is horror, and we're we're gonna plug princess to horror fans. Okay, yeah. well, we're doing that today, but 
it's it's nice to hear how far you've gotten on the project because they have heard little tidbits. If anyone's listening to this show strictly to stalk you, then <laughs> and they're out there. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> um, then they've been writing all this down. There's know, like a cardboard with exactly the threads and shit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's good to talk about your current projects, especially when I also have that extra secret, not much info. Trust me, guys. He's as tight-lipped with me, really, as he is with other people. But I do have a few little tidbits knowing that in the future there will be some a little more fucking spotter pictures deader type shit pouring out of his brain yeah 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 that i think like you know we'll be able to, to talk a, a, a lot more readily and actually if there's anything that i would ever make that would be the most nervous for you to read it'll be that stuff and if anyone with a, like artists with a huge ego where people would say don't encourage them encourage wes <laughs> encourage wes <laughs> i encourage wes and i like that we're able to like promote a little bit more on the show when shit does happen so yeah. uh fan expo very very cool princeless out and available for those interested yeah yeah Yeah, you guys can like there's already books out for princeless that you guys can like go and buy and believe me it's not like it's an obscure thing it's an action lab property well the dude that created the series is a a fellow named jeremy whitley he's a really talented writer he's his characterization is great and those characters sing they're Mm -hmm. amazing characters and 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 i think that um, what he has created in the last five years, I'm very happy to be part of. And and guess what? Like it's an anthology. It's going to be an anthology book. So if you guys, if like if if just me at the table is not enough to bring you there, there's tons of other amazing comic book writers and artists that are going to be on this big project that's coming out. We're hoping November. That's what I've been told. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and there's back issues if you're interested. So you can oh yeah, go yeah, look yeah. At the back catalog of Princeless. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and get a flavor for what you're what you're in for. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a comics and collaboration panel just yesterday at CanCon yeah. in Ottawa. Um, Specfic uh, and fantasy convention that's running right now. I'll be going tomorrow to listen to some of the horror chat and see uh, people from Cheezine and Sean Moreland and Matt Moore and. Derek Newman still talk about horror. I don't know if I've forgotten anyone. Maybe Crate Hartfield and a bunch of like Ottawa horror people and like Ontario horror people in Toronto and Peterborough as well. So I'll be going to a little a little tiny convention mm-hmm. that is like too big for its britches in a way because it does attract a heck of a lot of attention for how small and close knit the community is for CanCon. But there's been a lot more comic interest there yeah. as far as fantasy and science mm-hmm. fiction comic. And hopefully someday soon some horror comic panel chat. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm hoping that in the next couple years that me and you will be going there as panelists. That would be really fun. Instead of me balking and, yeah, us being too busy shopping for stuff at Turning Point and recording a podcast. <laughs> which I, I'm sorry, we've gone on like 43 minutes and not talked about the film yet. Sorry, guys. But we did have a question on the Twitter. Why not? We'll get into it. <laughs> um, so our question comes in, coming to us fucking hot. Like, Dro- I didn't even see it yet because I was offline yesterday for the most part. If you guys could make any horror movie into a video game, what would it be? And this comes from Thomas. It does come from Thomas, Thomas, who's like becoming our most like active question asker. Oh, yeah. He's cool. He's a cool um, dude. I don't know. Like, it's hard. I've had this question for about a day. I've been sitting on it. And I'm thinking, 
well, what would I want? Let's you think about my favorite franchises. They have video games for them. There's they like all if you look at our big slashers of Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth. In the history of video games, if you include Atari Twenty Six Hundred games, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a video game. So they've been made, but do we want like a big sexy modernization of this? Even something like the collection. Collection. Yeah, and when we were watching it, you were like, this guy's a fucking video game man. He's a video game character. That door swings open. He's got two dogs on either side of him and a fucking gun backlit, just doing a stance. He's a cutscene. You're like, it's crazy. Yeah. You're like, boss fight, boss fight, boss fight, boss fight. You're so into it. Um, but he, boss fight. You know what? I have an answer for this. What's that? House of a Thousand Corpses, Dr. Satan. Into it. Now, do we want it to be. Like super big and glossy, or do you want it to be like an indie game? And what part- I do not give a fucking shit. You know what? I just want it to be good. Do you want it to be like the the carnival ride in House of a Thousand Corpses? I want it to start with the carnival ride, okay, and then things go horribly awry, and then it goes into sort of Silent Hill puzzle thinking, trapped, like getting out of the escape. house, like getting out of the yeah, and then you end up in Doctor Satan land, and Doctor Satan isn't the big bad either. I'm gonna let somebody else's fucking creative mind take over at that point. Halfway through the game, it's gonna feel like the end that's my favorite sort of games anyway um and you're gonna fight your, like your mini ganon or whatever and dr satan won't i don't know if he'll be killable or not i have no idea but i want lots of dr satan mm. i just really like we didn't get to see enough of dr satan in my opinion no i agree i definitely agree with that because like guys we're going to be getting into house of a thousand corpses very shortly so we can we're going to talk all about dr. Satan. all about dr satan um i love dr satan you know, the collection, like, there, you were talking about escape rooms earlier. It's like, there's a DS game called 999, which is very much nine hours, nine people, nine rooms. It is, it is, it is the a horror escape room video horror game. Video game. Video yeah. game. So, like, there's lots of things that exist. Like, you know, we have, like, the, the, that big Friday the 13th game that's coming out that has conceptual problems for me, but. Meh caring you know what jason's badass and slaughters he's badass everybody that's all you really need you know but then i start thinking about it as like i'm not you know me i want it all i want every bit yeah lydia such a slut like i want it in every you want what an underworld what was the crossover you were proposing what the Resident Evil film Resident franchise Evil, and Underworld, Underworld big yeah. bloated car, uh, comic book crossover and they have video games they do so um, like but and here, some begat others. Like you look at the Silent Hill thing yeah. as well, where the film was born out of a game too, right? So. We, we could talk about like one of the goriest games that are currently available for Steam and and everything right now. Hands down, it is the latest iteration of Mortal Kombat. You can fucking be Jason Voorhees and Leatherface in that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can you can be Alien. You can be Predator in the previous iteration. You could be uh, Freddy Krueger, right? Yeah. So and and. Ed Boon has alluded, alluded like he does. He's a fucking massive troll. Like that's all he that's all he does with his Twitter is yeah. he just like fucking trolls people. But people have suspected, and he's and he said kind of vaguely what he would love to do is a big glossy horror yeah. fighting game. Yeah, even I've heard that in my head is usually firmly in the sand when it comes to this sort of stuff. But even I was aware, and and I believe it probably will because I don't think he would dick around with that idea and, and, and publicly and like he would anyone who owns these properties because that's kind that's the tricky thing 
some things are owned by Sony. Some things are owned by Warner Brothers. Some things are owned by Paramount. Yeah. Like, there's just things that are owned by other properties. But if Ed Boon could say, like, look at the numbers. Look how many people bought these characters. This is nothing but money. And if you all get a piece of it, then holy fuck. Like, you could make a lot of money. And I was like... Let me tell you, like, I know that some people were, were kind of taken aback in that Mortal Kombat game. It was like, here's Leatherface. And people were like, Leatherface? That fucking looked amazing There to was me. a lot of horror fans that are more, like, somewhat done with Mortal Kombat or might rent it that would buy it for the horror yeah. element. And I only really pick up Mortal Kombats anymore for the horror characters. Yeah. Like, quite honestly. Yeah. So, But, but yeah. like, but I was like, so I would be kind of down for that. Like, because of the fact that I don't, I love so many of these properties and, and I love slashers so much. And I know that there's been, like, fan games. I know that, like, there's, like, that Mugen game or whatever where there is, like, a horror game. Like, I've seen videos of, like, here's Pumpkinhead fighting fucking uh, Maniac Cop. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, and, and here's Chucky fighting, like, Leatherface or here's Pinhead but like and you see their special moves and how amazing they look but and this is like an, this is a game that some guy or lady made in their basement mm-hmm. so I was just like if they had the money that NetherRealm Studios has to make these Mortal Kombat games with a horror game holy fuck that would be amazing so that's kind of what I would like so that's your answer is like okay what horror movie villain would you like to see made to a horror game or what horror movie and your answer is all the fucking all, all, all of them, them put them in a fighting yeah. game, or okay. like something like you know, I like could you make like a ring video game where you have like a certain amount of time to save yourself before you die? No weapons, no fighting anything. It's basically you versus the time because I love survival horror like Haunting Grounds and and Clock Tower and Fatal Frame where you have very limited ways to defend yourself, if any. I still haven't been able to play Fatal Frame, and I st- I really fucking want to one of these so days bad. i'm gonna fucking back up i'm gonna come here with a backpack with yeah. a playstation <laughs> 2 it. in it and it. three fucking fatal frame games just I'll, for you. I will play them because if you guys think my horror movie collection is is great my horror video game collection is getting just as cool yeah <laughs> okay speaking of collections let's get into this fucking movie an yeah. hour later sorry guys Sorry, but uh, sorry. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, eh? Sorry, eh? Yeah, sorry, there, eh? Speaking of fucking, like, strange brew motherfuckers. So we this movie starts off in a club banger scene. Holy fuck, we're here to party, man. We are here to party and just get lit, get turned, get Oh, gross. Stop torn. talking like a fucking dude bro <laughs> I thought was dude, no dude bro is allowed at this fucking rave I'm there's a password and the guy at the door the doorman isn't even at the door he's across the hall from the door which is like the doorman so cool. looks like he would be going to that rave he looks like a Cenobite man <laughs> someone from Nightbreed I love his look I love Me his too. look but he does not look like somebody who would be admitting these hoodie wearing and fucking Mackinac fucking plaid shirt deal dude bros. <laughs> that was like when we're watching the sequence where uh, the, this film opens up. This film opens up to be fair with the collector himself gearing up to be collecting shit while there's newsreel footage playing it's like serial killer police are baffled 50 missing people not including the people that have died. Yeah he kills everybody in the house or wherever he is, and collects one person. So when we were sort of calculating, I'm like, he's killed 50 people. And Wes was like, way more than that because of everyone that 
dies in the first scene. I'm like, oh yeah, and he kills everybody in the house. So yeah. it's like possibly thousands of people. Yeah, so like killed. he's he takes 50 people. So let's say that's 50 families. Let's say the average family five members let's just ballpark it four to five members and there's gonna be like random humans in the house probably. yeah random humans in the house and that's yeah. not including that's what they know about and of course we're getting to this fucking crazy ass scene where and this is is a very gifable scene and this is where i first started seeing stuff for the collection the sequel to the collector um was just this big sequence where people are at a nightclub and this guy has rigged this machine like a thresher it's a thresher it's it's farm equipment yeah. to run across the entire length of the club the dance floor area nobody knows this fucking shit is here he somehow he must have set it all up when the place was closed do you think it's his club do you think he could very well it's be. a secret club with a password never more well that's not abnormal it's, there's know. a goth club night in montreal i think monthly called nevermore and if they're going to use a doorman requiring a password, the password <laughs> is probably nevermore, um, just because it's not a secret. But it that's not be, abnormal. Wouldn't be something like darkity dark dark or feelings or feelings. What the fuck kind of <laughs> door password is feelings? I don't know. Gross. I don't know anything about you people, <laughs> and I do mean you people. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> But yeah, you could definitely have a thresher approaching you on a club dance floor in the right kind of club that's doing things right and things are loud enough and the dance floor is packed and it could be five feet away from you chawing up everybody mm -hmm. and spitting gore everywhere and you might not notice. Holy fuck. This club turns into a bloodbath instantaneously. The scene's pretty good. I like it quite a bit. It's very shocking. It is CGI, but that doesn't bother me in this scenario. And, by the way, we're not done just yet. Oh, no, we're just getting warmed up. Because you think to yourself, what about people who aren't on the dance floor? Well, he's got contingencies for that, too. We're talking, this guy's got spinny blades coming out of the fucking hallways. He has got, what, he, he traps like 15 people, 10 to 15 people in this little cage and just slowly Crush crushes them to, them to death. Yeah. Now, our main character, well, one of our main characters, Elena, she is going to the club with her friends who, man, let me tell you, like I cannot tell two of them apart. And this was the thing where Wes had pointed out, he's like, I don't know what club or I don't know what these guys in zip up hoodies are doing in this club. That How was did the, you phrase it? I, I, I said, uh, I said, I am mortified that this guy is wearing a zip-up hoodie to this type of club. Everyone here is dressed to the nines in club clothes. D like, dudes are not wearing shirts. Ladies are wearing tube tops. There's sequins. There's Every tight pants. Every single woman is dressed to the nines. Like, it's a pretty... That is one of my problems a lot of time with nightlife, as it is, mm -hmm. uh, is that women are constantly expected, and in lots of facets of life, but nightlife is really, like, one of the worst fucking offenders where women are always dressed up to the nines and expected to look a particular way, where dudes can definitely go to a fucking club like this wearing a fucking drawstring hoodie and fucking painter's jeans that are fucking ripped up and fucking have scraggly cuffs or whatever mm -hmm. and goddamn Birkenstocks for fuck's sakes. Well, there, are, there definitely are uh, people who will comment on that, a comment on the fact that, so this woman is expected to get ready for an hour minimum with makeup and jewelry and a, like a shirt that only is worn at a club scene while this motherfucker shows up 
in a t-shirt and jeans or a fucking plaid button-up plaid button-up shirt or something like that um i think that when you are going out for a night of drinking and dancing i definitely think that you should be stepping up your game you don't want to be that person that's at a club like this looking like you're a fucking cast member for strange brew or looking like you are fucking like gonna go camping because (laughs) like that's what they look like they're just and that was the thing i was so elena's boyfriend cancels plans for her because he says that he's just got work to do or some shit like that. Turns out he's going to this club. Now she goes to the club with her best friend and this dude that apparently has a bit of a crush on her. And the reason why these two boys, because we find out, oh shit, this motherfucker is not only at the club when he said he was at work, but he's making out with another lady, um, which in a strange way saves Elena's life because she's so upset that she leaves the dance floor. Not before punching him straight in the head, Man. which is awesome because yeah, she, she really dummies she, good. Yeah, she fucking marks that guy real she good right in the mouth. Or something. Oh, I love He's it. bloody. Yeah. I love it. And he, but they're both wearing Zivyab hoodies and I was confused. I was like, wait, is that her friend? I was like, why is she so mad at him? And they're like, that's her boyfriend. I'm like, is it? Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of funny. You're like, why is she so mad? And then later on, when that that boyfriend, his body gets used to awesome effect. And I was like, serves him right. And Wes was like, why? (laughs) Why do you hate that guy so much? And it's like, well, that was the boyfriend. He's like, again. (laughs) I was like, that wasn't his friend? Well, then who died? I was so confused. Because they were all underdressed. It's so much easier to look at the women and be like, you know, the girl in the shiny silver top or the girl with the pink thing in her hair or the girl with the stilettos where all these dudes are like the guy in the zip up or the fucking plaid or like the guy dressed for camping. (laughs) I love that analogy. Thank you, Wes, because that is I usually uh, accuse people of being underdressed that they're dressing for the beach. But yeah. men definitely dress like they're going fucking camping. Yeah, it looks like he's going to sit around a fire holding a beer. So yeah. he's, he's just got like grubby jeans on and a big sweater. Like, I guess that's like the best plan is no plan. I'm going to do whatever. And you know, it's anything can happen day. So I better dress for camping. <laughs> to a club that's so yeah. exclusive that nobody knows about it and you need a password to enter. I'm yeah. like, dress the fuck up. Really? Totally. So, Yeah. That's not the first time that we yelled at the TV. <laughs> all in all, like, we did really love all of this because it gets, you know, kind of fever pitch here because it's semi-interesting. We're introduced to our killer vaguely and we're introduced to our um, lead girl here, of course. So she leaves the dance floor because she's pissed. Oh, hell yeah. And she just finds, like, an empty room because it's just sort of like, um, it's almost like a large apartment building with a hall. Yeah. Uh, and like a big, a large foyer is what they've converted into this club area. Mm-hmm. But then there seems to be like a lot of separate rooms and stuff, of course. So she finds herself in a room outside of the party, kind of quiet, kind of collect herself. Ha, no pun intended. <laughs> and there's a steamer trunk. There is. And if anyone has seen the film beforehand, they might be familiar with what trunk this is yeah this particular steamer trunk has our previous final boy final boy in an arc and he falls out of that scenario and this is one of those really interesting scenarios like this is gang a direct fucking sequel oh yeah like like moments later it is a 100 direct fucking sequel there's a lot of 
There uh, seems to be like time he, missing. He, yeah, there seems to be missing time. It could be a few weeks, a few days, or something. The guy looks like he's been through the fucking ringer. Though I thought he was marking the time on his arm. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I thought. Originally. That's what anyone would think. But yeah, we'll we'll get into well, what the marks on his arm are because he's like quite marked up, but mm-hmm. he has some specific marks on his well, arm. Because if you remember the last uh, collector movie, it's really trunk closes. We're left to assume what's going to happen to this dude. Yeah, it's a nice ambiguous ending, actually. Yeah. And we, we have an idea that he's collected. He's going to be tortured. Yeah. When we're introduced to the collector, the man, like the killer. The myth, the legend. In the beginning of this is when we get that that body count and get a little clearer picture of how fucking horrible he is and how many people he's he's done this to. A lot clearer picture than we do in, in the rambling explanation that we get in the collector. Mm-hmm. But in the collection, it's it's a lot scarier, I think. And now that we get to see what Arkin looks like when he comes out of the box, when he fucking gets the biggest stroke of luck and really thinks on his feet to get his fucking ass out of this building. Yeah, he uses uh, Elena's bracelet to pick the lock on his ankles and then fucking grabs a dude to, and like uses him as like what would you call it like an airbag like an airbag <laughs> when he jumps out of the window because it's the only avenue of escape and the quickest one and it's almost like this is all he's been thinking about while he's been trapped in the box is how to fucking get out of here mm-hmm. and god knows how long he's actually been in there i didn't pay attention enough to see if they say how long he's been in there but it seems like long enough to stew about it and he's let out enough to not be atrophied so he's fit and quick enough and mm-hmm. healthy enough to get his ass out of there, but just barely. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not thinking clearly. He's definitely bloodied, beaten, and tired, but still awesome enough to grab Elena's ex-boyfriend Hell yeah. <laughs> and use him as a fucking airbag when he jumps <laughs> out of the fucking window and lands on a car on the street below, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. I really like that escape scene. And it mm-hmm. happens so really quickly and abruptly because we've gone from like, Oh, boyfriend spat, whatever. Oh, club scene, neat, dancing. Oh, everyone's dead. Like hundreds of people within a minute or two. Yeah. And then this daring escape with Arkin, which I think is cute that Arkin's name is Arkin because the collector is an entomologist and is a bug collector. And Arkin is very close to Orkin, the uh, bug spray people. That is actually, I've never put that together. Isn't that That's, cute? That is interesting. Yeah. Now, Arkin does have an opportunity to see at the last moment that Elena gets snatched. Yeah. And to- and now she's gotten tossed. In I the love trunk. the way he throws people in trunks, too. <laughs> he just yeah. sort of like bullies them backwards until they tumble into the trunk and he slams the lid. It's, it's hilarious. Well, look, if you look how many times he's done this, he's probably super good at getting people in trunks. I'm going to have to have a horror experiment. I'll find my steamer trunk and take the person out of it first. Yeah. And then um, we'll just try and like bully somebody into the fucking trunk. Because I was going to say, is like, are you going to put me in the trunk? I'm bigger than you. So like, maybe it'd be easier to get you in the trunk. It'd be a lot easier to get me in the trunk, but I'm not fucking going in there. <laughs> no way, no how. We'll find like 10-year-olds. Like I have like to pick on 10, 10-year-olds so far in horror experiments. So they'll fit in the trunk. Easy. I wonder if you could get more than one 10-year-old in the trunk. Oh, I don't know. Probably. Little ones. Minimum. You. I bet you could get two 10-year-olds in a steamer trunk. Yeah, definitely in mine. For sure. For sure. For sure. 
Have you eat one of those like blue ones that people use as uh, coffee tables, like the hipsters and stuff oh, that you fuck buy yeah. at fucking Ikea or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely fit two, maybe three 10-year-olds in those things. But they're flimsy and I wouldn't trust them uh, long-term storage of people. We'll workshop it. Okay. Now, we're going to awake with Arkin and... He is going to be in the hospital now. Now, the, the, the police are all over him, setting his bones. He's fucking broken his uh, 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 forearm and from that fall, yeah. which is not surprising. It looked like he jumped like four to five stories out of the fucking building yeah. onto a car. He's lucky that's the only injury he sustained. Yeah, honestly. And Elena is gone. Now, what we don't know is that Elena is secretly fucking like the daughter of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I like at one point when you were likening you you had a lot of ideas about what her home life was like and at one point you said well she's li- lived all her life in the head of a giant <laughs> <laughs> which is a beautiful idea as the origins of Elena but yeah she, she her is, dad is like an elderly Bruce Wayne yeah it's just like like she lives in a castle like it's it's like beyond a mansion it's huge and her uh Father, uh, played by Christopher McDonald, shoot, uh, shoot McGavin from fucking the Happy Gilmore movies. You uh, would, um, y- you get a little bit of their backstory. There was a car accident that happened where Elena was trapped within the vehicle, and her father's leg, knee looked like it was completely fucking twisted around. So yeah. he's never really going to walk without a limp ever again. And she is trapped within a burning vehicle, and. So she it seems to be that like the impact or whatever um, had damaged her hearing as well. I, I feel like it probably was the, 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 the just like, yeah, the sheer impact would have popped one of her eardrums yeah. or like because like that sort of loud noise for sure. But she's deaf in one ear. You don't really notice too much. She's just got a really you know, chintzy hearing aid, but she's got a hearing aid in one ear that goes very easily unnoticed, honestly. Yeah, it is. It's a neat little little character twist a little tiny weakness if you will yeah, but, yeah. Um, she is saved from this by her father's bodyguard mm-hmm. um, I guess this would be Bruce Wayne's new bodyguard because his fucking butler's died at this point in his old age <laughs> I don't know because he does it is very 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 he seems very Bruce Wayne um, yeah but yeah it's his bodyguard and a very secret service style uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if her dad's like a senator or what, but he must be. I like. Did you get the impression that it was always their bodyguard? Because to me, it got an impression of that it was someone who just happened to happened along and then was taken on as a bodyguard because he saved his daughter. Could be. Like I I, either way, like I kind of feel like that's a richer narrative, but either way, it works, right? So like her father's somebody, and probably someone that has a security guard. But the fact of the matter is, is Elena is gone elena's family is rich yeah like rich like you fucking read about they have bodyguards they have bodyguards she lives in the head of a giant or a cat like wayne manor it's huge yeah like she her fucking bedroom window looked like the top of a fucking parapet like (laughs) what the fuck is this yeah which is perfect that's what every girl's dream you know what i mean yeah, it's that true. is every girl's dream. She probably got a pony every single birthday that she wanted one. And then subsequently ate it. Yeah, that's what you do with ponies. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, really enjoyed Elena's character with her very, very small weaknesses and her fine way of just like looking and being and acting. And she didn't seem to be like uh, one of those like 
stereotypical rich girls that you instantly hate. She's a yeah. stereotypical rich girl that you really like. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed her and her small origin of what we're fed of it, of her mm-hmm. living in the head of a giant or whatever. <laughs> she has a loving family regardless. Father cares very much about her and does have the money to go hunting for her. Luchello. So this family friend, this bodyguard Lucello, basically gets together a team and is super hard ass about it. And not unlike Paul Reiser approaching Ripley in fucking Aliens, if I could just reference Aliens, because it's been a while. Yeah, it has uh, been a while, but that's fine. It's overdue. It's overdue. Uh, they want Arkin in on it because he has survived the Collector and was brought into the Collection and therefore knows this guy's whereabouts likely. And he is also the last person to see Elena alive. True. When they're interrogating him in their shitty mercenary dudes for hire way <laughs> in the hospital, um, because it becomes very apparent they are not trained professionals. Um, not only does he know that she's probably being collected, he has the map to his secret hideout. Yeah. Carved on his arm. Yeah. He, what we would think is like marks denoting how much time he was spent living in a box and being mm-hmm. tortured is like marks that he, what he would count to a hundred and slash his arm. And then every time they would turn like right or left, he would mark that on his arm as well when he was initially hit kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And the turns would be, it, it, the, the cuts would indicate the turn, what direction the turn was and everything like that. Yeah, so they take a drive with him and he's like, turn here, turn there. And they sort of have a little bit of proof as mm. to like what his instincts are telling him on his arm. And he's following that as a map as well as following his instincts. And mm. I, I, want, I do like the one little tidbit that they throw out. They're like, uh, drive five kilometers under the speed limit, stop for every stop sign, you know, signal every turn. And it's very, very true because you only want to break one law at a time when you've got somebody in a steamer trunk box in your backseat. Absolutely. It's funny you should say that, that, that he got these mercenaries, like the worst mercenaries ever. And I agree because it's not even because originally when we were watching the movie. It's like he probably went. These are like some like dark web guys that you fucking like hack through to the websites and, and get their fucking contact information. And then I was like, no, these are like Craigslist fucking mercenaries yeah this that... is michigan militia a little backyard <laughs> fucking... yeah they all look pretty hard as fuck but i mean damn and maybe it's just indicative of the fact that like our collector is such a fucking badass oh yeah if they had to come and collect me yeah they would they would come across as a highly trained navy sealer swat team yeah fucking but... like break open the door pizza pie into the fucking room and just like have you on lockdown your and your shit in your pants <laughs> yeah, but against somebody who's as highly trained of them, yeah. if not way more, who's expecting them and on his turf. Yeah, this is like the Mayberry police squad. Like, they're just like, fuck you. Yeah. yeah, we need some Benny Hill music sometimes in scenes with them. And there's a like, little typical infighting sort of. And yeah, they just, they don't, they don't, they're not happy to be there. The only person that's really driven is Lucello. Mm-hmm. And we and we know that because we'll find out in the in the background in the we'll find out in the flashbacks that he has a personal connection to this. It's more than just a job for him. Yeah, he cares for her like a daughter. Yeah. 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 It's kind of touching. 
It really is. Now, Elena has awoke with inside the collector's home. Now, this is his lair. Now, previously in the franchise, where we've been doing is we've been with the collector during home invasion. In somebody else's home, yeah. Exactly. So we don't get to see how he lives. It's sort of like when you get to see where V and V for Vendetta lives. Yeah. Except way gorier. Way gorier. I still like him very, very much, this collector. As far as men that wear masks and live underground and steal stuff. <laughs> People. And... It very much has that look about it. It's very industrial, dirty without being putridly dirty, but dirty because there's just sections of this warehouse, essentially, that have lots of corpses in it. Holy fuck, is this place jam-packed with bodies and it is jam-packed with the survivors, if you could call them that, because these people who don't end up as art, who don't end up as body horror art, who end up as kind of like the ghouls and the creature, or the the people under the stairs. Yeah. Kind yeah, of like that's that. that's what I was thinking of. Or, and a way more active than, but not much different than the people who live in the basement at Lola Stone's house. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the loved ones. Mm-hmm. And I guess they would be the loved ones, those ones. For sure. <laughs> he, he basically, you know, attaches masks to them. He mutilates their bodies. They're kept in cages that yeah. he opens up to let them attack other people. He's got a sign saying, beware of dogs. Now, he does have two dogs. Yeah. But I think that the beware of dogs sign is meant for the people. Absolutely. Now, when they... Like, it doesn't take any time. This movie doesn't fuck around. Like, this movie is saying that the, the this movie is about an hour and a half long. And predominantly, what you're going to be spending your time in is this cat and mouse game of this team of quote-unquote experts trying to get Elena back while Elena herself is within the collector's walls. Who's She's escaped, es- his... escaped on her own. So we yeah. have two teams, the collector himself, and then all of these weird characters that exist within the collector's lair. Yeah. So it is like, you can think about it a lot. It's like the small team, Arkin, and elena and the collector but the cast is really quite big Mm -hmm. when you think of all the extra people that become involved or like nameless beings right Mm -hmm. and if you wanted to like attach names to all the body parts and then you start thinking about things and that's one thing i really like about this movie is that you've got little tiny bits and tidbits of backstory that you're sort of weaving all together and stuff i really really enjoy that Mm -hmm. um how you know that these are the 50 people yeah. at least that he's taken and the random body parts like it could be way more than 50 people that they know about he's created art with them he has them just around he has some of them held captive he has some of them uh, as minions like yeah like like with, with like stockholm syndrome and shit like that yeah my favorite abby mm-hmm. she is just a peach isn't she mm-hmm. i love her she's got the nicest uh box of anybody else it's all multicolored and shit he means the box she lives in, people. Yeah, that's what yeah. I didn't mean. I just the... needed, I felt the need to clarify. <laughs> I'm usually walking straight into blindly, that's what she said statements. She has a beautiful box. <laughs> steamer, steamer crate? Yeah. Her steamer trunk is probably the one that smells the least like piss, vomit, puke, blood, and death. Yeah. But, and I keep wondering, I had the West problem where I'm like, ooh, I must smell in there. I wonder what that smells like. That, that is crazy because there are moments in this film where people only react in disgust for example in that beware of dog scene where you had pointed out that what the collector is doing is making these very armed people 
waste their ammunition. Yeah, they're walking into bullet magnets. Yeah. That's what the dog pound basically is. Yeah, it's just so they can get expelled. And if they're lucky, maybe one of these drugged out collected will kill one of them mm-hmm. or whatever. But th- then when they turn the corner, like, what is this place? And then they all react in horror. There's 20, 25 just destroyed bodies piled up on each other. Some of them have rotten down to the bone. And I was like, you only notice that now that much rotten human meat, that entire building, just from that one section alone, it would be pungent. Yeah. Oh yeah. You wouldn't be able to walk in there without vomiting, gagging. You'd be covering your face. Like I don't care how fucking hardcore you are, or if you work in a morgue or whatever, and morgue worker would, would agree that, you can't just walk into that house without fucking having a very visceral and human reaction to the stench mm-hmm. of dead human flesh. He has a nice touch of having that one room with just looks like a hundred bug zappers in it. Yeah, I really like that. It reminds me a little bit of in Seven when you walk into the, uh, uh, is it Gluttony, that guy? And there's like air fresheners hanging absolutely everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the bug zappers do a really good job. Yeah, because yeah. because yeah, that place would just be infested with flies. Yeah, absolutely infested, and I, I can't believe like the stink and the stink of those trunks. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm surprised that the the trunks aren't full, half full of vomit because that's what you would be doing living in a trunk like mm-hmm. that. There's there's definitely scenes in this film where people are falling into piles of body, and I'm like, where is the two minutes? Where they're just flailing around and puking their guts out, yeah. trying to get away from this pile of bodies. I like when Arkin falls into a body pile and he peels his shirt off after, and I'm like, oh yeah, so maybe you got a little gore in your pants too, oh, there, yeah. sir. Take your, like, take your pants take off, off. Arkin. Yeah, yeah you're filthy, Ooh. filthy boy. I'd like your arms a lot of push-ups in that crate. <laughs> <laughs> you could not do push-ups in that crate. He found a way. Okay, this is my fantasy. Shut up. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, he doesn't react very viscerally at all, like you would assume, to these, like, just random pieces of corpses in piles. Really artistic, really beautiful, and there's a lot of, like, I don't know, would you consider this a body horror? There is quite a bit, like, there's that flayed open woman with the big tubes running all within and the, and her the circulatory. Or, and the organ, the bags of organs just, like, above. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And then especially when you're getting into his, uh, shall we call it a trophy room? Yeah. The, that is... Where I had said even, I wish this movie had done better so I could have the McFarlane Toys version of all of these beautiful monstrosities he's got. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's beautiful what he's done. And I like the idea like and and it does force you to think again cuz he's got these like skeletal sculptures and then you sort of see like the half rotted uh midpoint of these sculptures and then you see the beginning genesis of these sculptures it seems where it's like just human limbs, nice like freshly washed and stuff all just stitched together into these random configurations where I suppose the idea is that it will just rot eventually into these skeletal configurations. Mm-hmm. It's really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Maybe I put too much thought into this. I don't know. Well, and not only that, but the movie is telling you, is making it like the way that this film is shot. This 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 movie shot for about 10 million bucks. Uh, it's a pretty good budget, but a lot of the budget went towards like how good it is, how well lit this movie is. It's not like a dark, dingy, dirty movie. It is a shiny, glossy, 
a horror title that they put in the theaters that they spend fucking money on. I think right? it's safe to say, as long as you're not absolutely in love with Jigsaw as a character only, if you enjoyed Saw 2, you would enjoy the collection, if yeah. not just as much, maybe even more, because it's shot with that same sort of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's got, I think, better sound, like, yeah. clearly. Um, it is a little more colorful, and it's got a hell of a lot more gore and just visual bling for horror hounds, gore hounds, and yeah. people who like that just weird sculpture in the background. The set dressing in this is impeccable. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't really shy away from the fact that we're going to be showing a lot of death. And and it's not so much that you're going to see a lot of death on screen, even though there is a sizable body count. And that club scene alone has more death in it in, the, in two minutes than some entire horror franchises have. Yeah. But yeah. But um it can get a little numb to that, but like it is the implication of how much death has occurred in this world before we even started watching it as viewers. That's what's insane. Because you think about every every person hammered to a wall, every person on an operating slab, every person that is in a in, cage that's in, in, blind and chewed their tongue out. Yeah, it's full of the, drugs. each one of those is a story just like the first collector movie or Abby. And or I Abby. tend to think Abby didn't have a family. She just walked up to the door like an idiot one day and knocked on it looking for some lipstick. And he was just like, Yoink, you'll do nicely. The character of Abby is introduced into the film as as his perhaps his favorite, whether or not that is true or not, is. Who knows? You can't believe a word that comes out of her mouth. No, absolutely not. She seems scared. She seems like he, she has been put to the test by him a lot. and It's pro- one half Stockholm Syndrome. Maybe you could blame that on this. Maybe she is his daughter. Who knows? This could be some fucked up daughter. I, I, th- I often liken her to the governor's daughter in Walking Dead. Uh, even though she's nothing like that. But it's the same sort of relationship sometimes. Mm. Um, she could just be a crazy fucking girlfriend of some sort. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, but she's she's got a, a very pastel look to her. Lots of makeup has been caked on her face. Um, she claims that he did it to her, but I would doubt that. It seems like yeah. probably something that he would have done to herself. Self-inflicted birthday cake face. Yeah, and... And uh, she seems to be like Elena agrees to help her. Elena has some fairly good survival instincts. We don't really know where all of this comes from, except for the fact that the big the, the, we get a demonstration about how in a, in a social situation where she finds out her boyfriend is cheating on her, she's no shrinking violent. She lashes out, um, and then and so she definitely has that pep, right? That 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 bit of survival. Arkin, we know from the previous film, is a survivor. And what I dig about this is it's not like Arkin is because video games can be bad for this too. It's like here's your protagonist from the previous iteration, and why they're gonna kill that person in the first five minutes of this fucking movie, or 
or the character's just not even going to be there, right? So this is very much a continuation of his story, but also Elena's, like, we're getting introduced to this character. I fucking love this character. and I love her, too. There's only one point where I was yelling at the TV screen due to Elena's actions and her thought processes, and it's not her I dislike. It's her writing at that moment. Yeah. Like, the scripting yeah. at that no, moment. No, and I agree with you 100%. Yeah. That is That is some lazy... And it breaks away from the character that she is because she's doing a better job of evading the fucking killer than, than the SWAT Than fully armed people who go into that. This is a girl who went out clubbing with her friends mm-hmm. and bore witness to seemingly her best friend get crushed to death yeah. b- brutally, slowly. Let alone knowing that everyone else in the club is dead. There was all sorts of really crazy death going on, even in the hallway. Like yeah. My favorite is the girl that has her neck cut and the blood is just spurting out of it. And she had been applying pressure to the wound, as Wes <laughs> reminded her to do, because he's a friendly guy like that. I'm like, apply pressure to your wound. And she's like, and, and, you, and you said she was until she decided to reach out theatrically. Yeah, and then the <laughs> blood just pours and she dies. Like, she got to see that sort of lovely stuff uh, yeah. last time. She was out in the free world outside of this fucking steamer crate and this crazy lockdown house. So, like, she's a very, very strong new lead and vying for who someone who we know is our final boy and who's, like, in the running for final boy again. And we've got our final girl, right? Mm-hmm. Our potential final girl. Mm-hmm. So it's a really fun trick to be like, oh, well, how? what are they going to do? Are we going to have, like, final people? Are we going to have, like... Is, is 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 one going to betray the other or like how's this going to go? Yeah, because this because Arkin is a fucking no holds barred survivor. Yeah. We saw him take a innocent human being that was still alive and use him as an airbag yep. to drop out of a building. That is his level of survival instincts. That is insane. That is me, 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 self preservation. Oh, he was pushed to that point. Really, yeah, you know, and, and he was a bit of a criminal beforehand, so it's that's not like true. completely out of character. Th- that's true, and and believe me, and I'm not vilifying him for doing it. Not I'm just saying that I'm just saying that um, that is where he's at, and so what I Elena's I'm, getting there. Yeah, no. and she's getting there, and what I dig about this interaction with these two characters, and it's so fucking smart, is you have a final boy that has been brought through the gauntlet already, survived, come out the other end as this what he is now mm-hmm. and and now he is witnessing elena's exact same trial and trying to rescue her but not he's not invested in rescuing her he he's basically forced and and not only that he also absolutely wants revenge on the collector and the collector has threatened him in the hospital he's the collector himself sent flowers to arkin and said can't wait to meet your family so that is a direct threat on Arkin. So there's multiple reasons why Arkin has gone to this really bizarre c- scenario. And he also knows like how the collector operates. So he's like, I don't doubt that he wants me back. Yeah. Because this isn't how I'm an anomaly. This is outside of his norm. He yeah. needs me back. Yeah. And he'll probably stop at nothing to yeah. recollect me. Oh, you don't and just... will kill my family when he does accept yeah. his MO. And you, you don't walk away from this guy. And oh, he's like, oh, no. well, he got away, blah, blah, blah. I guess that's the end. Of... That's not how that works. Oh, fuck no. And he also, like, it's not even as much as, like, oh, I know what she's going to be put through because I was there. So I, I want to stop because I don't want him to do this to other people. Um. 
if he weren't there, he wouldn't care, I don't think. But because he's there, he's like, I don't want to see somebody, mm-hmm. not for their sake, but I don't want to have to see this myself. I can't just walk away because I'm here. If I weren't here, I would, you know, if I was reading this in the news, I'd just be like, fuck, well, I got out of there. But because he's there. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about this sequel, what I dig about it so much is you start out with a home invasion in the first film. Mm-hmm. And now it's a home invasion but it's an invasion on the collector's home. Yeah, yeah. That's fucking badass. And 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 like because the collector has this place rigged to the nines and because he's got minions like Abby he does not seem the least bit fucking concerned and he will definitely not seem the least bit concerned when you see how this guy fucking manhandles people and not like a he's not like a big mongoloid he's not like a crowley or a jason he's not like crushing heads and fucking two hands type yeah stuff. yeah no, no he is just out fighting people he is slick he is smart he is quick he is tough He's thinking, he's clear-headed, he seems to be very calm. Yeah. And it doesn't, like, he has this mass that we figured is probably Kevlar. Yeah. That's the only fabric that really looks and behaves like that. Because it looks a little like hide, but it also looks like fabric. And it would be a good choice because it's breathable, it's lightweight, it's semi-wicking, depending. You can get many different kinds of Kevlar. And it would be resistant to being stabbed through there's a really nice scene where Arkin gets stabbed right through the cheeks by the collector. Oh, so yeah. He's like, stabbing in the head happens, so I'm going to protect mine with with Kevlar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other properties of Kevlar which make it a really good choice. It's not like not in the bulletproof aspect for those that aren't familiar with uh, Kevlar. It's like the fabric itself isn't like just bulletproof. You can't take like a, a, a Kevlar shirt. It needs to be like prepared, like a yeah. bulletproof vest Woven. made of Kevlar. Yeah. The Kevlar just sort of helps. But uh, so it, it is, but it is resistant to things like being stabbed and puncture wounds and stuff like that. And he's got a lot of like nails sticking out of things. So I can see that just being a hazard of like walking around his place. <laughs> well, he's going to get a nail through the foot any minute if he doesn't watch where he steps. Oh, yeah. A lot of people are going to get nails through everything if they don't fucking watch where they're stepping. I mean, Arkin narrowly avoids that by walking through like this narrow hall of nails. I... Could you imagine, like, if I'm in the collector's house and I see two walls with nails on either side of them and there's barely a meter between this space, I would never in a million years go through that. No, nope. and Arkin just like wiggles on through it and I'm like, you gutsy bitch, what the fuck? Because that is designed to squish together. You know it is. Yeah. Whether you triggered it or not, or he was watching or not, I guess, is the question. But, like, Mm -hmm. what the hell? Or Mm -hmm. is he just that fun of a guy, the collector, that he's like, I'll just make all the hallways, like, squishy bed of nails type hallways. Yeah. Or, like, maybe if I'm chasing somebody, they could get caught on this, and that would really suck, and they might get infected because those nails look dirty. You know? Everything's probably infectious in this house. Oh, my God. It looks fucking disgusting. Yeah. You know when uh, when Elena is uh, gets fucking betrayed by Abby, it, it like I don't I, like I think maybe there was a brief moment where Abby maybe kind of sorta did want to escape, but then the second that she felt that the collector was there, she instantly dimes out. Elena. Totally, and also like it wasn't a sure thing either. I think that when she looked at Elena, she was like, "Oh yeah, this chick's badass. She's totally my Tomb Raider. We're getting the fuck out of here." Yeah, and. As soon as she noticed a weakness, she was like, "Oh God, you're not tough enough. You're not going to make yeah, it." Yeah, you have a I'm weakness. Out. You're not yeah. part. You're not going to be part of the collection. Yeah, because of the fact that Elena does have uh, a hearing aid. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Abby figures that that is a fucking deal breaker. Yeah. But Abby, Abby reminds me of like the most fucked up acid test fucking high school fucking detention reject version of fucking Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. That I ever did see, and I just love her. There I was probably her that there there was probably that aspect into creating her design, yeah. like the inclusion of that character to have a favorite, a fabled favorite that is so entrenched and so fucked up in the we already know that the collector has the ability to basically get you so insanely doped up yeah and so dependent on drugs that you essentially act like a wild animal and she's definitely through the looking glass i think that she looks at alina and her weakness as well as being like you're not going to be through the looking glass with me and you're not guaranteed to bust me out of here so i can escape like, if it's that 50-50 kind of game we're playing, I'm not going to play it and I'm going to go and rat you out mm-hmm. or go back into my box. Yeah. Yeah. She's so cool. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. She's creepy as fuck. She's creepy as fuck. And not only that, but, like, Abby definitely has the tools and tricks to know how to survive, right? And that's all she's cares about these days is surviving. And she doesn't believe that she can ever escape the Collector. It's like Angel, I think her name is, if I'm correct, in the Seasoning House she's deaf and mute and um has learned how to survive in a, a maze type lockdown situation as well and maybe suffering to a certain extent with a small amount of stockholm syndrome and she her job is to put makeup on girls that are drugged out and being used to, to force prostitution for an army and it's a really similar character although she's not doped out and she's not fucked up and she's not creepy or scary. And she does eventually, you know, have the skills to escape to a certain point. But like, it's that sort of almost Stockholm syndrome, learning how to survive in that sort of place. Like people that live in people under the stairs that mm-hmm. live upstairs, yeah. <laughs> I guess. They've just learned how to cope and learned how to survive and know that they're probably never going to get out of there. And this is just the new way of living. Now, with this team of mercenaries, with Elena running wild, the fact that, like, I believe the Collector probably knows at this point that that one of his previous baubles is now back in the house, you would suspect almost, like, an elevated sense of anxiety from the collector in any way shape or form and honestly i would have come down on this movie really hard if if i said like well this is really a missed opportunity you are basically dealing with a character that's very much a control freak very much needs to dominate people very much has routine ritual um that all of these people are part of this need this need that he has to do this shit to people and these rituals are being broken and his home has been invaded. So you get a sense of him prepping for that. And it's not until much later in the movie does I, do I actually believe that this character can be riled. Because when Elena is done moving moving through this, uh, the v- ventilation and, and shit like that. And when all of the teams, the teams, when Arkin and uh, Elena meet each other with... Uh, Lucello and the the surviving members of this fucking SWAT team because they're getting captured and pinged off. Like, oh fuck yeah! Pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah. Like they're falling for traps, which is ridiculous to me because you guys know what is happening here. Like you guys know 
that that what this guy does you know this and it's part of the aggravation because they're supposed to be some sort of trained fucking i guess recovery unit of some sort i have no but idea they def- like like backyard militia yeah. who cares what they are but they've got an idea of what he does and they know why they're there but they're sending off traps left right and the, center the, like idiots sending, fucking <laughs> the fucking contrast of elena going through this hallway like she never makes any noise. She she's jumping tripwires. She's, she's barely she, saw to the corner of her eye and yeah, stuff. Like, like like she is. She's so, avoiding bear traps. Just fucking cat like, just like bouncing all over the place, not setting things off. Silent as a fucking mouse. And then we cut to like Arkin, just like a fucking bullet in China store. Like, <laughs> really truly, like a drunk guy stumbling out of a nightclub at two thirty in the morning, just fucking setting off it's like a ball in a fucking. Pinball machine. Just setting off fucking everything. Just yeah. setting off everything. I bet he's setting off traps that, like, the collector's like, I forgot that was even there. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I've, it's like, I, I've abandoned that trap because I was never able to set it off once. Oh, I'm surprised that wasn't rusted shut. <laughs> Good on you, Arkin. That's why we like you. Yeah. But he's separated from the SWAT guys because. I, like, I don't even really know why. Like, they're not giving him a weapon, I guess. Like, they give him a pen light. They give him a pen light. And which, I pointed out, you could definitely bury that into someone's eye socket. And one of the human dog guys, he definitely does stab it in its fucking eye socket. So works he, perfect. Yeah, works perfectly. And that's one of the weaknesses, I suppose, of the collector, if there's a weakness to be had. I mean, aside from shanking him into one of his organs, you know, under his ribs, if you could. Because he's not wearing, like... He's just wearing, like, a shirt. He's wearing, like, yeah, a black shirt. And, like, jeans. Yeah. You know, nothing special. But he, his eyes are have some sort of contacts or metallic. Yeah, because he's, like, he, yeah, he's got, like, a black shine to his eyes. It's weird. It's cool, but it's weird. Yeah. Uh, could be cataracts, but then he wouldn't be able to be so cool and swift and fighty and ninja-like. Yeah. But either way, the one thing, one of the problems that I... I have two problems with this film, but the one of the small problems I do have is that Elena approaches... Uh, um, ventilation fan that's one of those large industrial ventilation fans it's just in an open area mm-hmm. in the wall sort of like a, a spot that someone has carved out for a window and there's no window in it just this huge fan and so it's like open air and she's yelling at these two dudes at this burning can and I don't know who stands around burning cans aside from bums in films. Like, like it's people like, do this in real life. It's like the Bronx circa like 1975. Yeah, yeah that's, that's freaking crazy. The only time that ever happens or strike lines yeah if you go you know and see like a union on strike they'll they'll burn in cans which is just like so annoying i i hate unionized jobs not only for the eventuality of of a strike but because they're gonna burn shit in a can and i will not join a strike line if they're burning stuff in a can because that's Mm -hmm. just gross anyway but so they're burning stuff in a can these two dudes and she's yelling and screaming at them and they can't hear her, and I don't understand why, and I didn't understand why, and I, I watched it again this time, waiting for an explanation as to why they couldn't hear her, mm-hmm. and then I got none, and then later on, it's proven that we can hear them just fine, so if you if they can hear, if we can hear them through that ventilation fan... They should have been able to hear her yelling unless they're owned by the collector to a certain extent. I don't know. Or something. Or they're deaf too. I have no idea. 
Does he have some sort of noise canceling device? It's like a minnow trap and it lets sound in but doesn't let sound out. I don't know. I guess like I guess the attitude is just like they just can't hear it and that seemed to be good enough. Look, one of the, if I were to say visually speaking, I love the way that this movie looks. It's fucking great. I love the heads exploding. I love the fucking uh, the club scene. I love um, the it's very actiony, but not in an over the top way. Like people aren't like. It's not like wire foo or anything like that, but it's like yeah, it's not like Matrix it, level. It's not Matrix or like the Resident Evil movies or yeah. whatever. Like it's not like that, um, which I like those movies too. But wire foo. Well, yeah, wire foo. Yeah. Um, but what it is, uh, and so like I like all that, but I have to say that the, like huh, when people are talking about weak dialogue in these types of movies, like they or this is really a good example of just. Things being said where I just don't understand. I don't understand. The uh, I don't have any memorable dialogue to quote of him, uh, probably because there is absolutely none. But the more street-wise, more gangsta-looking member of their little squadron, mm-hmm. uh, with almost like the quasi-mohawk mm-hmm. or whatever. And he sort of struck me as like half South African or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool guy, but like totally like garbage dialogue. Yeah. I don't remember a thing the guy said, and none of it fit correctly. It just felt like he was just mimicking those lines because it was garbage. But Some of the acting in the movie is fine. Some of it seems really forced. Uh, Lucello's acting is fine. His dialogue is weird. The character's reasoning is really weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like I understand that he, he cares for Elena beyond the fact that it's just a job. I don't understand why they're so hostile to Arkin. Like, I don't get that at all. I don't understand why everyone keeps insisting that he abandoned Elena when... There was no, he didn't know Elena. There was every, like hundreds of people were existing in this club. Now two people are alive in this club. Three, if you count the collector himself. This guy has just spent, let's minimally say a week in a fucking trunk. Let's just say, at bare minimum, he was in that trunk for a week. Yeah. Um, probably more. He escaped with his life. Why the fuck? Why would he assume that this girl was going to be anything but dead? Or, it would have been almost a little more powerful when they say, when they say, have you seen this girl and show the picture? He'd be like, I think so. And like, she was at the club and like, did you see her? Yeah. Did, did he take her? He she should have been like, I don't know. Instead of, yeah, probably because it would have helped reinforce that. I was too busy saving my own fucking ass. You douche. Yeah. I don't give a shit what happened to the hundreds of fucking people that died there, let alone this pixie haircut chick. Yeah. Once again, they're manufacturing drama between the characters because they feel they need to when I don't think you do. No, it's not. Like, I, like, I was like, you guys are in. Okay. So you have these characters. Uh, one character is very much hell bent on saving this girl's life because this is someone that he has known since like he's a, 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 since she was a kid. Since she was a kid. Yeah. He saved her before. She's in danger. I want to help her. Dig it, love it. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. And it's, and you don't really see that too often. Of like, I'm a family bodyguard. You don't really see that in horror. I like really. it better than like, I gotta save my daughter. It's almost like an uncle being like, yeah, it's and it's cool. And it's like Arkin. I get it. I get that character's thesis. It's very strong. Oh, totally. And and we've already spent a whole movie with this dude. We know he's a survivor. Everybody else in the movie, I get your cannon fodder. But but like the stress should be that we are in a maze house rigged to kill us with a killer inside of it and we need to escape now that we have everybody together 
that needs to be your source of drama. And if you want to include a character like Abby in that, who can also think that you're like on her side, but betray you to the collector at the last moment, that's cool. A lot of stuff goes to shit that way too. That absolutely works. Yeah. But I don't understand why the characters need to be angry at each other beyond the fact that it's a stressful fucking situation. Well, I really hated the scene. I really love the scene where Arkin shoots one of the guys outside of the can. Fucking what a good idea, right? It's the only idea at that point. It's amazing. And even if you've given this movie a lot of thought while you're, you know, going through this with them, I don't think that would have dawned on many people. And it is a super heartless move. And even Lucello is like, that's awesome. Smart. Good call. Uh, good call. Because because it's like we're shouting it's not working. He aims his gun and shoots a rent and, and Elena's like, Did you shoot that guy? I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And guess what? It worked. Which is very in character for her to be mm-hmm. like like uh, she's seen a lot of atrocity. She's seen a lot of violence. She's like doing very, very well coping with all of that and trying to save her own ass. She's doing an amazing job. But and it's all very, very in character for her to be like, Oh my god, did you just shoot that guy? Because um, she's been working on a like a preservation sort mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. mindset here, and that does not feel so much like self preservation. It is oh totally, but, but it does. It's one of those things that wouldn't seem like it in the moment. So I buy it, and it helps if you think like me that they hurt her and they're just ignoring her. So yeah. now Arkin shoots one of them, but it draws attention. And yeah. then when the paramedics come, he shoots at the fucking flashing lights in the cop car, which the cops do come in and raid the building. But, yeah. Um, so it's all very in character for her to be like, what the fuck are you doing? But then get it, you know, and be like, oh, okay, yeah, this will draw police attention. But then right around that time, they accuse Arkin of abandoning abandoning her. And Again. she chimes in. And, and I was like, like, you left. And I was like, I don't. No. It's one thing for Lucello to be sort of overprotective and blame him for abandoning his yeah, favorite but not, not her. girl. But when she barks at him, too, I was like, fuck you, bitch. Because it's not men's job to fucking save you. Like, yeah, it's, well, yeah, and, but also, like, it's, it, it, yeah. It, it, it was every man for himself at that point in that club. You just saw your best friend get killed, and you could do fuck all about it. You know what? He's going to save his own ass, and he can do fuck all about you getting dragged away by the collector. Yeah. Bummer. Sorry yeah. about your fucking luck. What's he going to do? Put his life in any more danger? No. And by the way, he's here now. Yeah. Right? So, saving your fucking coming to help everybody save your ass. Yeah. Everybody's coming to save your ass. You're doing a fine job. Like I love her character and I yeah, love everything about her. It's that one line that was like not in character. And again, I guarantee you that it it was probably a note where it's like, well, we need we need inter we need people to be mad at each other for reasons other than. Yeah, because this is a whole rats in a cage kind of thing. That yeah, we're doing and, and I was now. like, I don't think. Like, and and you know what? Like, it's frustrating to watch a scene like that because I'm like, we're on a roll here, guys. Why are we slowing down for this? It doesn't matter. It was almost her job, and as much as I loathe to play into script games here, mm-hmm. it was almost her job at that point to be like, look, Lutella, we have to work together. He didn't leave me behind. Let's just focus on getting out of here. <laughs> you, know, See, you know what? That shit line. I like I like that better. You just I know you're like that's a shit line, but like you you crapped out a better, more believable line for her. That's more in character. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, what do, what do you do? Anyway, everything else that she does is per, pretty much golden bulletproof. And believe me, that's a that's a minor that's a minor quibble. Like, I love not... Abby more than I love her, but that's yeah. for stupid reasons. I, <laughs> Elena is a very, very strong, amazing character. And I love, at this point, we're still like, 
a final what? Are we getting here? Are we getting a mm-hmm. final boy, final girl, final final people? Like, what are we getting? Uh, I love this, that she's still in the running, so to speak, for the final girl. When Abby decides to finally give up the location of everybody, I guess to like her in the collector's favor or whatever the fuck, she she eventually, because like like a Paz gets um, kidnapped, the, the, the woman that was on the mercenary team. Yeah. And then Arkin and Lucilla eventually rescues them or rescues her excuse me and so when they're all together and abby finally tries to like fucking like blow the whistle on them and then paz like cracks her in the mouth and then she goes into like kind of like this iron maiden type thing it's actually pretty cool yeah it is super cool it's one of the coolest traps if you will like Mm -hmm. um and this is why it reminds everyone so much of saw this was originally positioned as a saucy saw prequel Mm -hmm. and uh declined by the studio but yeah, the stu- still yeah. made yeah 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 they're like so, well we can do a similar type of killer but make him way more theatrical far more brutal uh, yeah yeah i i like it when they do uh initially rescue paz because she sort of we become really complacent to our surroundings at this point there's fucking bodies everywhere there's feral people everywhere it's disgusting it's gross there's traps everywhere it's terrifying and he's got these like statuettes and weird like body horror fucking displays everywhere it's beautiful but horrific it's hell and paz hasn't seen this because she was kidnapped pretty early on and Mm -hmm. she didn't get the grand tour as it were trying to fucking escape so she comes into this grand gallery of grotesquerie and is just taken aback with what is this yeah she hasn't seen it so it's kind of nice way into the movie near the end Somebody goes, what the fuck am I looking at? And you're like, yeah. whoa, what the fuck am I looking at? I love this, but fuck. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And crazy. like even Paz getting kidnapped, like like if anyone's like doubts the fact that this collector is a fucking Billy badass, it's like he, he, he fights three armed mercenaries, disarms them, kills one of them with like a hook to the head. Makes like a pulley system, brings him up. Yeah, rides the pulley with the body up, and then rides the pulley again up, and like uses the hook. Yeah, and then to collect her and flips Paz in midair, mm-hmm. hooks her feet to a a fucking um, what would you call it? It's like a a a, a rope pulley system or whatever. It's that like what that flat guy rides in Beetlejuice. Yeah, kind of mm-hmm. like that, and then just throws her, and she just fucking swings down the hall and i was like he did that in one depth move yeah it was pretty cool flipped a grown-ass woman upside down like and and like effortlessly well there's other people like gonna fight him yeah the fight scenes are cool there's a few scenes of slow motion in this that i wish weren't there Mm -hmm. because i just always really hate slow motion Mm -hmm. especially in like fight scenes and tense scenes just keep it kinetic keep it fast you know like raid and raid 2 i don't think there's slow motion use in any of those i I don't think so either i think and i'm really glad that it's not because it would just make me groan and eye roll Mm -hmm. and i do there's a few groany eye roll slow-mo bits not a lot Mm -hmm. but enough like a couple and mm-hmm. I'm glad that that's not one of them because it just heightens that kinetic and that flawless energy that he has where he's super calm about all of this. Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, he's a Rube Goldberg mind yeah. in a Rube Goldberg situation. When the collector enters this fucking scene uh, what, after Abby fucking kills them, that is the video game cutscene moment that I'm talking about. Yeah. Where it's beautiful it is so picturesque i would like would have that as like a fucking like background on my phone or something because the two dogs show up and 
Arkin and Luchello like basically like take on the dogs like while the collector is lighting the shit up. This is the first time where we see the collector like getting kind of panicked because oh my god, there is now police surrounding this building. I could probably take care of everyone within the building, but I'm gonna have to destroy this building so the police don't get in here because and we're realizing this as we're watching this, and I'm thinking he's an entomologist. One thing that he does quite often is gas bugs in kill jars, and he's created this house in this lockdown type house where he could easily gas everybody. And I'm definitely expecting at this point that he's going to put on a gas mask and use the house as a kill jar. Yeah, Just... and and he might. And it would make perfect sense if he were to do that. But um, when Lucello, uh, like, when the when everything dies down and the collector, like, basically books from that scene is, like, his dogs get lit the fuck up. And, yeah, and when whenever... his dog's his head chopped off. And, and he, like, we kind of have that sh- moment of, like, does he actually care about the dog? Yeah. And it's like, well, it's kind of like it's his belonging, so he's pissed that you fucked with his toys. Yeah. Well, and, and like, that's when he knows that Abby is dead. Yeah. Like, when he sees that Abby's dead, like, and the look of rage on his face. Sort of. I, I don't know. It's it's like twisting of his mouth. Yeah. Like, it's the and, only expression we get out of the guy. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, you know, I agree that it is coming from a place of, well, that's mine and you broke it. So, and, and that is when, um, he grabs Elena and he fucking leaves where, and, and Paz and, um, and Arkin see that uh, Lucello is like, he's on a trigger. His hand is through one of the triggers. Yeah. And there's like a a giant, it's like a fucking. It's like the grabby thing in those like little one or two dollar toys, a claw game. Yeah. yeah, It's like the claw on a claw game. Yeah. yeah. So he basically tells him to get the fuck out of there while he's going to try to do something. I would have tried to roll for it, but you see that he's reaching for that dead dog's body with his foot. So I'm like, oh, man, he's got a plan. He's a man with a fucking plan. And oh, I like this guy. Mm-hmm. So because I just like I just that's how I am. I, I play hot and cold. Like I fucking well, like, I hadn't really had a plan up until this fucking point either. So it's nice to see him like, like stepping try, out of his game. A trying little to do a little bit. something. Yeah, contribute to the fucking Yeah. Situation. This is where like they pass and them try to like fucking fight this dude. But they all end up like in a fucking box with like the grossest sequence ever where Arkin basically is going to use his broken forearm to get a lock going. I'm glad that he can escape around corners now with a broken arm. I know it's so gross, but he but this is where he basically yells at the collector and he's like, you're fucking pussy. You fucking get in here and do this. Fight me yourself. And like the collector is just like waving a lighter around he's just gonna light the whole place on fire like, yeah he's spreading gas he's yeah gonna just burn it all down which you know isn't quite as characteristic as a kill jar and i like the you know the calm sort of death that gassing the place would bring mm-hmm. fire is pretty too fire is pretty too and it basically is one of those things almost like the jeepers creepers thing where it's just sometimes the only way to win is to clear all the pieces from the board and more so than death destroy it all because there's got to be evidence linking who he is in this building there has to be oh probably if not just plain old dna yeah who knows because he's not you know he's human too yeah he has he sheds skin cells at very least when he changes his kevlar mask but like yeah the fire is the great purifier and cleanser. fire fixes all yeah so it's very very true and kind of fun because we've already had like a little 
um, foreshadowing to a body pit that had already been doused with gasoline, mm-hmm. which is kind of helps keep the smell down. I was going to mention earlier when we're talking about the stinks and like when Arkin ended up down in this one body pit, it had been already doused with gasoline. There was gas everywhere. So maybe he was dousing things with gas in preparation to have to burn it down someday and also to help kill the smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also, there is a couple of uh, collected still down there um that we see through like cutaways and shit like that but this is where um when the the killer is like starting to fucking burn shit and uh elena and uh well paz gets fucking murked like we don't even blink and you'll miss her death everyone else got like a fairly like showpiece death where you're like oh wow this person is definitely 100 percent dead what's the first guy the first guy the mercenaries who's yeah. name i don't remember they all had like short little three-letter names yeah so they're all, like interchangeable and this, the, the biggest guy just got knifed a bunch of times yeah i like that scene because the sound uh the foley work on the knife was like making that sheathy noise that knives only make in movies and don't actually make in real life yeah yeah, yeah. Not that I've stabbed someone multiple times in the chest, but that's, we'd imagine it doesn't sound so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a very, very cool scene, but it's not as show PC either. But yeah, Paz does get picked off pretty quickly. She hasn't been out of fucking captivity very long either, so it's kind of sad. But we didn't learn much about her either, and she has a lot of throwaway lines, so. Yeah, she, it's not very, she's not a very memorable character whatsoever. Honestly, the characters that are, like, super memorable in this movie are our final boy and our final girl. Yeah. Like, that is, that is what we are here to see, and I like both of these characters quite a bit, and it seems to be down to just the two of them, and they're trying to get to the main entrance to get the fuck out of there. This room that they're in is where all of the very elaborate bodies were being held in, like, formaldehyde, water? I think it's formaldehyde or something like that. Probably. Um, I think I'm thinking water because, like, they're going to rot so, it, down it, to these skeletal Yeah, it could be water. And it's so blue, right? Like, yeah. it, like it looks like... Formaldehyde would have, like, that yellow tinge to it. Sort of. I've had... You can store things in alcohol as well. I had a couple fish hearts that I brought to... I already think that this guy is rich enough, but if you're saying that he is putting, like, fucking bodies in cans of like in, in giant fish tanks full of like absolute vodka like i'd be like no one's that rich <laughs> lydia let me ask you this mm-hmm. do you think that arkin with his broken arm is any match for our collector in a hand-to-hand fisticuffs mono a mono two men enter one man leaves slobber knocker no yeah me either let me tell you something we think that Arkin is down and fucking out. And then, oh shit, big turnover moment. Lucello fucking shows up. Throwing the dog head. Like his fucking signature entrance move. Speaking about, I'm all about fighting games apparently today. Yeah. So like, I know that like when like uh, Lucello's opening animation is him like probably adjusting his cufflinks and throwing a dog head. He's got cufflinks now. Anyway, and then, oh shit, we're going to fight. Let me tell you something though. Fuck, man. This dude does not have anything for the collector. The collector is like cocky dodging him and like fucking is very adept at knife fighting. He is doing reversals. He is like counter striking. And yeah, Luchello's getting his shots in, but I don't think for a second that he is going to win this fight. Like it's not even close in my mind. Yeah, there's nothing 
that shows us that anything that they're doing is a grievous injury. There's nothing that is handicapping the collector. The collector is still full of piss and vinegar, as it were. Yeah. He's still tough and in fine fighting form, where everyone else he's fighting is super tired and not not good at what they're fucking doing yeah. either. So he is still he playing be, with though. them. You would think he would be, though. Cello? Yeah. Somewhat, because he's almost like Secret Service. But yeah. this is about the closest match that we get, really, mm-hmm. is Secret Service versus the Collector. Yeah. Because it makes you think, I was like, look, man, you're trying to tell me that this guy's like a fucking entomologist. Where the fuck did he learn how to fight like that? Yeah, he got lots of time for hobbies. <laughs> it's true. It's true. As like, he could have learned a martial arts somewhere. Yeah. Uh, or he could be, you know, like ex-military or something. Yeah, Some... I was just going to say he could be ex-anything. It's true, because we really don't know. And... Like Lucello like puts up a good fight, does some damage, but falls to the fight. And he gets a really good fight in, but he doesn't win. Unfortunately, Arkin uses this distraction to stab that that um that spot where you stab all slashers, like not quite the knee, not quite the thigh, but kind of in the the very low low thigh, high knee point, which seems to be like the glowing weak point point for. Mm, 95% of all slashers get stabbed there. You know they're just about done. It's part of where he had that girl nailed to the wall and she had nails through there. And you were like, yeah, she's just going to be dead weight if he gets her down. Yeah, he's like, help me. I'm like, ah, I'd like to, but I don't know if I could carry you. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I'd have to. So you just chill out there. Yeah. I'll yeah. go for help. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like his coup de grace. Oh, hell Yeah. Fucking glowing weak point, hits the crit, double damage. Now the collector is going to... Like, possibly in the funniest moment for me, where the collector just gets, gets shoved down the corpse shaft yeah. and into the into the, the, the brim. And of course, um, Arkin is going to light his t-shirt like it's a fucking like, torch and drop down a little bit of fire. I'm always so dubious when things like this happen in film oh why because you're expecting it to be his zippo him to have a one-liner and then walk away from the explosion cool guys don't look at explosions exactly That's no i'm always thinking i'm worried about i'm here. always thinking i can't imagine his t-shirt would go up like that i can't imagine that it would stay burning the entire time Meh, it depends on what fabric it's made out of. I, i'm buying it I'm anyways it. so that lights up our collector and we think that that is the end of them. It should be, in a way. It but should it's, be. It's escapable enough. It's it is escapable enough, and it is not good enough cinematically. We know this from being cinephiles our whole lives, watching tons and tons of horror movies. That is, I'm sorry, cutting away while an entire building burned does not a death of a slasher make. Not at all. We've learned this from way too many, and we'll just like boil it all into a Michael Myers complex here. Yeah. Or yeah. We, we uh, yeah. just know he's probably yeah. not dead. Yeah. If you don't see that body reduced to ash, they're not dead. And even so. Yeah. And even so, then if a dog might pee on it and they'll be fine again next movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I would love to see a Collector 3. But anyway. Like a dog pees on him, on, on the Collector's ashes. Anyways, so this kind of moves. So like Elena finally banging on the door. The firefighters, which looked like they were about to walk away. Like, no, 
They did, but that also serves the nature of this building, that it is such a, like, weird Escher-inspired mass of rooms that they don't even know where the entrance is. And they're standing at the entrance on the outside, Mm -hmm. walking past it. It looks like um, the collector has put up a bunch of sheet metal up in front of the doors, so you're not really sure that this is even an entrance. And even Elena standing at the entrance, not until she sees the light of the cherries outside, that she's like, oh shit, we're at the front door. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Which is good. So you have this very uh, cinematic moment as the building's burning down. All this shit drops between Arkin and Elena. It doesn't look like Arkin can really get out. I oh, would, he could. I'm urging him to jump it like a I, circus dog. I would have also said that. I, I I was like, you know what? Like maybe it's just the way that this scene is shot, and a lot of the flames are CGI, so it's kind of hard to really tell where the fire is actually coming from. Again, it's one of those cinematic fires where there's more flame than smoke. Maybe he doesn't know that that's the front door either. It's true. Yeah. We don't really know. So, but he seems kind of like he's given up. He feels like the collector has been vanquished. Um, he falls to his knees. That's what helps us cinematically realize that he's done. He's done. Yeah. yeah. He lets us know. And then Elena, she's like, no, you will be my final boy. You're my final boy, Arkin. <laughs> I love it when you put it that way. It's precious, really, where she forces him to be a final boy. Yeah, and yeah. so she grabs this pipe, and honestly, you might just think for a split second that she's gonna just throw that thing like a javelin, so he doesn't have to suffer the death of <laughs> for a burning, second, burning to death. I was just like, just hurl it right. That or his... in a lesser, stupider movie where she'd be like, "I'm not gonna abandon you, like you abandoned me," and like yeah. rub that in his and face. And then she's gonna start. Again. She's gonna start fighting the fire. Like I'm gonna fight the flames themselves. Or she'll just piss on it. What she does with that pipe, which I always felt was probably should be a lot hotter than. Her being able to hold it because they are surrounded by a lot of fire. She smashes the glass that these bodies were floating in, and the the water, the absolute vodka, the, whatever the fuck is in it. Yeah, I guess it's not vodka. Oh, probably not. Yeah, douses everything, and then it clears a path, and so they're able to get to the doors and credits at the ambulance. Maybe you got to sit on the bumper of the ambulance first with right? a blanket over you. Do I get yeah. a hot cocoa and like a little styrofoam cup? Yeah. And someone trying to talk to you and you nod no so that no one talks to you because you're all like traumatized or whatever. And, and a police chief can like walk by and like, well, that's all the bodies. 49. And a wife has to burst her way through the crowd and then hug and kiss the final boy. Yeah. Well, well, like, well, like a long lost son carrying like a stuffed bunny just like walks over and... <laughs> And and the family dog that you thought died at the beginning of the movie is okay. That all happens. <laughs> <laughs> or not. But still, they sit on the fucking bumper of an ambulance, which is, there was somebody on Twitter. I think it was Adam Cesar. I'm not sure. Adam Caesar. Um, a horror author, nevertheless, probably, because that's basically all the people I follow on fucking Twitter. Um, somebody had said, can we have a fucking end to films who decide it needs to end with People sitting on a bumper of an ambulance. Yeah. Can that just can we be done with that? There really needs to be a moratorium on ending a film that way. Yeah. I just think we've seen it so many times. There's other ways that you can just just cut the credits if you don't know. I think it only really works in Die Hard. Die Hard or movies where the first responders are a component of the fucking film. Yeah. I feel like that's okay. Yeah here yeah no it's cliche but whatever it gets us to the actual ending the actual ending where 
we see a guy in a lot of denim just dressing like a dad denim dad you a might call dad. him yeah but, it looks like a lot of people's dads i know for yeah sure. just for wearing sure. his levi's jacket it's sort of like if if this were like some weird crossover this is where dexter hid himself after dexter what? as like some sort of lumberjack wearing denim and shit what i'm a serial killer Will I have a family what uh, you hate dexter so <laughs> don't you what i have a wife and kid but i kill people what what do i do 90 seasons later you'll love dexter wes sure don't i love dexter i know anyways that's neither <laughs> and i like the end even though he's got lots of denim not unlike our collector friend yeah no we know this is the collector because the the um the interesting thing about the collector the way that that film this film is shot which is very deliberate that even though the character is masked they do make an effort to not full-on show even his masked face it is always from the back it is a slow profile and the very few you could count on your hands the shots where you see the entirety of this guy's face yeah. in the entire movie even masked that, and it's probably not to the point where you think he's going to be unmasked by Arkin yeah. because there is points in the in near the end of the film yeah and and i and i certainly don't think it's necessary i don't think it's i understand that like sometimes when a character is masked um people want that like well you have to unmask them it's like in superhero movies well we like, talked about that with blood widow too yeah it's, it's like, good to not unmask yeah I, I, I was like i was like because what i probably said in blood widow like, i don't remember but what you need to know is this mask is their face yeah that's all you need to know who this collector is beneath this mask irrelevant as far as i'm concerned this guy's a warped kevlar mess and that is the full embodiment of his personality yeah he is a warped kevlar mess i love it yeah i'm fine with his face being a warped black clothes black mask black eyes yeah that's that's all you need to know now arkin has tracked this motherfucker down yeah there's um only so many entomologists within a 200 mile radius or whatever he's mapped out and he was number 12 <laughs> so i guess he's stalked in fucking home invaded like, that, that was the thing that, that was the thing i was like i wonder uh, like has he killed is he trying to imply that he has killed the other ones i don't think so but i think that he's gotten that close to be like gun into the fucking temple in your yeah. house and again a lot of really great foley work because like the gun touching the back of this guy's head sounds like he's carrying a plate of dishes like guns aren't made of like loose metal <laughs> <laughs> like i don't understand it's like <laughs> i always notice weird stuff like that like for example knives and swords don't make that sound and guns don't sound it like it takes a lot to make a, a sword like a foil you have a better chance of making a noise in mm-hmm. the air but like yeah swords you have to really fucking be given her yeah. yeah um so he has a brief conversation with this character gets him to turn around and we hear the collector's voice we don't hear not only do have we never heard the collector's voice we don't hear him make an utterance not of pain not of exhaustion. Yeah. Not, not of pe- anything. Nothing. We see his lip twitch, basically. Yeah. And that's the full, that's the extent of any expression we get yeah. from this gentleman at all. That's it. And he says in a voice very disappointing, like, are you going to kill me? Like, he doesn't say it like that, but it sounded like it's that. Not, I don't find it disappointing. I, and, and, and he said, and, and of course, Arkin says no. That's too easy. I am going to do every bit of torture that you did to me, and then I'm going to kill you. And then you think that uh, the collector is going to, like, 
try to bite his hand or do something. Yeah, it comes at him with like all the swiftness that we're used to from our friend the Collector. But Arkin is is ready for him, cracks him in the mush, and then puts him in the trunk. And it's an identical scene to the ending of the first film. Slamming, slamming the it down on onto, the onto the fingers. Yeah. And then finally closing the trunk and we're out of here credits. Which is poetic and beautiful. It's a really nice ending. And it leaves it open for sequels if that were ever a, a thing. Um, or yeah. just a fully ambiguous ending where you kind of know, yeah, okay, that Arkin's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Or who knows? The Collector's pretty wily, so he could, you know, in turn kill Arkin. Like, who knows? This could just perpetuate itself all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could do that. Unfortunately, like, what tends to happen sometimes is a movie does okay, and then they greenlight a sequel, and... The sequel doesn't do as well, and the studio loses some money, and then they said, well, okay, well, we tried. This is not lighting the candle that we thought it would, so we're done. And so the collector goes away. Probably not forever, because that's not how things work in horror, but for now, at least. We're kind of done. You sit with two movies, the collector, the collection. I think that even though tonally speaking, they're very different types of films, and I know that, because uh, I've had conversations with people about this, people know that we're doing these films beforehand. I know that a lot of people prefer the first one. And while I believe that the first movie is a very strong film, I also think that there is a lot to recommend for the collection. I like that they're very different tonally. And I like that although the collection and the collector have a lot in common with the Saw films, and I've already said this is a lot like Saw too. Uh, It is, but it is entirely its own movie. It fits so very well with the first one. And like you'd said earlier, how the first one is a home invasion and now the home of the killer is being invaded. Mm -hmm. I I love that duality. So they're really good to watch back to back as well. Yeah. You could definitely consider these of a piece. And it is not one of those, oh, it's a sequel. It like, but... In either name only or all the characters are different. This is an absolute continuation of the story. And I don't know. I like, do you think that you could watch the collection and not watch the collector? Or do you really feel like you need to? I kind of feel like you need to watch them. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know. When I first watched this, I watched the collection first. Um, Okay. It was a recommendation of a friend. It was like an on the spot recommendation that we ended up watching just like on a whim. Gotcha. And he was like. It's, it's it's standalone, and he even prefaced it this way, and I still agree with this. Like, it's completely standalone. You get enough of the backstory by watching just the collection, and they, but and it will make you want to watch The Collector. And it does insert shots to let you... For example, the ending is very poetic with Arkin shoving The Collector into a trunk, yeah. but they insert... They let you know in this movie... You see that scene. Yeah, so, like, yeah, it's yeah. It's helpful, but also if you were... Then, of course, like me, like, oh, shit, I got to watch The Collector. It's awesome. And he had said, you really, you'll really like it, too. Uh, I don't know which one you'll like better, but, like, whatever. I like them both for different reasons, which is I, I like them both for different reasons, too. So when you watch The Collector, it's not like the same old, same old. It's not the, it doesn't have sequelitis. It's not the yeah. exact same thing done poorly. Yeah. It's totally different mm-hmm. with a very beautiful, seamless story mm-hmm. and a, a very, like, logical fucking story as mm-hmm. well and logical reasons why they're different. But when you watch The Collector, it's like, 
a, a fresh a breath of fresh air in a way mm. because it is very different and mm. it's a lot more claustrophobic and it's got a different people and you get a little more into the psyche of the collector it almost makes more sense to watch this sequel first in mm. a way even though i watched it in that order by fluke i think it makes almost more sense and is a little more rich of an experience than having watched the collector first mm. And then the collection. Mm. I saw the collector first, and yeah. then I saw this. I saw this in theaters, actually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, crazy. We do have sort of a similar idea coming up, where Grave Encounters and Grave Encounters Two sort of take place back to back with that very different tonal shift and very logical thread between one and two, where it picks up with the exact same story just afterward. Uh, Grave Encounters is a found footage paranormal asylum investigation mm -hmm. film which i really like because it does that genre very very well i think and i like paranormal investigation i don't really watch a lot of the television shows yeah. but i like them being turned on their head as it were in a fictional format mm -hmm. for a horror story yeah. it's actually pretty fucking scary it's pretty fucking scary and you know what that kind of makes me think about you know there's paranormal tv shows and then somebody made a horror movie about a paranormal tv show that's pretty fucking cool there's escape rooms. Where's our escape room horror? You were talking about that earlier. Yeah, right. So I think it's time. If somebody wants to know what the next thing could be, it's straight up escape room horror. And then we're going to be getting into House of a Thousand Corpses, our brand new video game <laughs> that we'll be working on, a little R&D, and I'll be writing a script <laughs> based yeah. on Dr. Satan. Um, what happens to Dr. Satan in the future? Maybe it's a prequel to Dr. Satan. I want the next. I want Rob Zombie to really do another um, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, kind of Firefly family thing based on Dr. Satan so very fucking badly. But that's the answer to our video game, or my answer to the video game question. So I'm glad that we're going to be getting into, finally, House of a Thousand Corpses. Finally is right. You and I have talked about this movie on and off for the entire length of our friendship. And who knows, you know, when we do our, my, the answer to my video game question, I'll probably be wearing my video game outfit like I always am every fucking saturday my <laughs> skeleton dress and i'm armed with my umbrella i figure that's my weapon i would also agree that your weapon is your umbrella because you can attack with it you can shield with it you know if someone breaks i got another one hell yeah yeah <laughs> you just gotta be careful because all my powers are like sunshine and light attacks that's where an umbrella comes in handy <laughs> and on that note i'm last night and i'm typical idea and you've been listening to dead air.